This is the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast podcast. It's Friday, February 25th, 2022, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America. Steak for breakfast. So stand by. This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Mm. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again. Whether you're spicing up the grill or the neighborhood, use the code STEAK15 for 15% off. You can find them at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Also brought to you by Stay Ready Gear, stayreadygear.com and on Instagram, stayreadygearusa. Holsters, custom kydex, mag carriers, tourniquet carriers, on and off duty gear. Use the code STEAK for 5% off. Don't get ready. Stay ready. You know, there's just a whole bunch of shit going on in the world right now. Yeah. And while you're spending most of your day stressing about it, there's one thing that you can guarantee yourself. And that's a good night's sleep. There's only one place you can get it. MyPillow.com forward slash steak. Like Lindell. He's got pillows, he's got slippers, and he's got Giza Dream everything to ensure that you have the best night's sleep you've ever owned. I'm going to promo code Steak at checkout. I've already mentioned the website, and you can talk to a qualified pillow representative for the telephone. 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and the world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording equipment can be found at Odyssey. I can now gleefully confirm about how much more shit I can hear in my ears when I'm wearing these amazing headphones, my custom Odysseys. Get yourself some awesome ones. Uh, whether you're gaming, potting, forever young? Yeah. Okay. You can find it at Odyssey.com. They're on Facebook and Instagram as well. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms has been servicing Southern California for over a decade. He's got a five-star rating, and he's a licensed FFL if you're into the tradesies. More importantly, he's got ammo. He's got a newly redesigned, easy-to-use website at westcoastsurvivalarms.com. Hit him up on Facebook Messenger if you want a direct question or call him via the telephone, 619-870-6992. Steak for breakfast, Backs the Blue. Our first responders, we love them. They're always working hard. They're usually wearing mediocre medic, T-shirts, sweatshirts, flip-flops, fanny packs, and more while they're on duty, stickers and patches as well. they got a pretty fire IG. I think I've mentioned that one before. Get them at MediocreMedic.com. And last but certainly not least, the uh, gold standard of tactical flair. Home of the Zero Fuck Stuck. 
is Dumpbox. Go ask Mark Joe Friday about different ways you could spend your money to find some of the highest quality patches, pins, t-shirts, stickers, flags you'll ever own. Dumpbox.us is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Friends, don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast. There you'll find the link tree that'll take you to all our social medias, the website, our telegram, and more. On that note, and for all of our friends listening across socials, Twitterverse, Instagram, Discord, and now Truth Social, welcome. Friday edition, Steak for Breakfast podcast, episode 111. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Sup? Antoinette's joined us. Hey, guys. We've got three big America First interviews coming up today. Michelle Fiore, looking to run for the governor in Nevada, will be joining us. In addition to that, Jackson Lawmeyer will be joining us. He's running in the Oklahoma Senate, and we'll be joined by a great friend of the show, Ian Smith, one of his first interviews since uh, he's been hitting the circuit lately, but he's going to circle back with us on Steak for Breakfast. But first, let's get into the news. All right, so the whole Russia-Ukraine thing got out of control. Slightly. It was... uh, you know, kind of hard to make a real deduction on what was going to happen up until the point it did. I'm sure nobody was more surprised than Joe Biden and the rest of the regime who, even though they've been saying an invasion was in imminent, they had no idea really what was going on or how it was going to happen. Um, all of the uh, political strategists and advisors who had been on said it was going to come one way and went completely the other and uh, turned into an all out assault on the uh, country of Ukraine. So a lot of the video that's been coming out of there has been spicy. Yeah. Uh, Definitely. But I'm also seeing video of people, um, Ukrainians and Russians dancing. Like, Have you guys seen that one yet? Yeah, the Russians are going to use that as propaganda because they did go in through Crimea and then those two disputed territories all the way to the east that were technically Russian-ran. Those were the separatist regions, and then they went in. From the north coming, uh, you know, where Chernobyl is mm-hmm. a- over there. And then, um, but there, there's there's a lot more of a picture to paint here. Um, you know, there was a, what's the big dispute and, and how did it get out of this control or out of control this bad so fast? And the international community's response or lack thereof, which I think is the most responsible way to, to point it out. Let's circle back to uh, 2013. We had the Euromaiden incident that happened for about two weeks in Ukraine. And that's where the uh, pro or installed government of Ukraine at the time was going to abandon a European-led trade negotiations and formalities treaty and move towards one that was more centered around Russia. Now, all of the people who lived under the Iron Curtain and as part of the Soviet Union before they became the artist known as Ukraine um, did not like this. There was a large civil unrest. The installed Russian government at the time had to flee. Long story short, we ushered in after that was over um, more of a actual Ukrainian government who was just a little bit less corrupt. <laughs> and they formalized relations with Europe and the rest of the NATO alliance nations. So that's back then. And that's kind of where all this stuff started because it was at the end of, of Euro Maiden that those two regions uh, over in Eastern Ukraine basically dissented and, you know, called themselves uh, basically loyalist provinces of Russia. And, you know, we saw Russia pretty much operating freely in there for the last decade or so. 
Now we have a clip I want to play that's a little bit of a throwback. And this is from about six years ago from John uh, Mearsheimer. And he was given a speech, I believe it was at a college, and he was talking about some of the stuff uh, that was going on then. And it's pretty relevant because it's become true now. So let's, let's just give a listen and kind of paint a picture for our listenership. What's going on here is that the West is leading Ukraine down the primrose path. And the end result is that Ukraine is going to get wrecked. And I believe that the policy that I'm advocating, which is neutralizing Ukraine and then building it up economically and getting it out of the competition between Russia on one side and NATO on the other side, is the best thing that could happen to the Ukrainians. What we're doing is encouraging the Ukrainians to play tough with the Russians. We're encouraging the Ukrainians to think that they will ultimately become part of the West because we will ultimately defeat Putin and we will ultimately get our way. How's that working out for us? And of course, the Ukrainians are playing along with this. And the Ukrainians are almost completely unwilling to compromise with the Russians and instead want to pursue a hardline policy. Well, as I said to you before, if they do that, the end result is that their country is going to be wrecked. And what we're doing is, in effect, encouraging that outcome. I think it would make much more sense for us to, neutral, to, to work to create a neutral Ukraine. It would be in our interest to bury this crisis as quickly as possible. It certainly would be in Russia's interest to do so. And most importantly, it would be in Ukraine's interest to put an end to the crisis. Thank now, you. Now, you know, Russia has a valid complaint here because the answer strategically to the Iron Curtain being lifted was to basically set up a wall of nations that could use a military force like NATO to take on Russia in the event that they would do anything like this again. But over the course of the last maybe like 30 years, you've seen nations continue to be added to NATO that literally have put a united front of Europe right up against Ukraine and Russian territory. Um, So I I think in a national security sense, they do have a valid argument. Obviously, they're not going about it the right way. No. And and I'm not going to uh, be able to weigh in on that because of my lack of experience in the area. But I am going to kick it over to our foreign... um, foreign policy correspondent and expert Noah, who's probably a little bit more in the know about strategic, uh, you know, the way Russia's looking at it, how that you just can't have every country in the region lining up militarily against you. And you're trying to have sovereignty on your Western borders. Um, What do you think the angle is here that they're trying? Do you think it's that? Or do you think there's something else? Are they, listen, I don't buy into the whole, Putin is Hitler 2.0, and he's trying to take over the entire world. That's not the case. He knows it would never happen. He'd never beat China. He'd never beat a united front led by us. And it would end the same way World War II did, except everybody else is going to get to volley their own nukes into the air before we drop a couple as well. So what do you think, Noah? Well, I think this is a prime example of us not getting the full story. Definitely. Right. with, And we've already seen our media presenting a, a certain uh, narrative while the actual officials in the region have been saying the exact opposite. So now that things have progressed to the point that they're at, you almost have to think that maybe, just maybe, us saying all this shit was going to happen actually partially prompted a lot of the action to happen. Yeah. 
I mean, Antoinette, you want to weigh in on this? This is, this is, you know, this is obviously spiraled out of control. And we're going to get to all the logistics of it. Don't worry. Like I said, we're painting a picture right now. There's a long narrative here. we got a bunch of audio clips that are going to kind of paint it, and we've got a whole bunch of other things that we're going to give you a complete image up to the real time that we're in now, which is midday on, on Friday. But, uh, Antoinette, what do you think, you know, is, is some of the underlying factors here? I mean, obviously, Ukraine is not innocent. They're extremely corrupt. There's a huge mafia presence there, big black market presence. They've, you know— laundered money in every way, shape, or form with their natural resources, uh, gas, natural gas, and, and iron. And, and then you have Russia, who's no angel themselves by any means. They do the exact same thing, but they've been doing it for a lot longer. What do you think? I mean, I think there's so much to this. You know, obviously, like Noah said, I mean, the media is trying to paint this narrative, and they're trying really hard. And it's only making them, it's only exposing them, really, you know. Um Yeah. I definitely think that, yeah, like uh, Noah said too, this prompted and almost kind of helped kind of get this to spiral out of control because I feel like that's what they wanted. I mean, I think a lot of it's distraction. There's a lot, like you said, corruption. Um, I think Putin is fighting a battle in Ukraine and it's a lot more than we're being told. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a hub for the deep state. There's so much going on there. There's so much that can be exposed there. And I feel like, um, I mean, there's so much more going on than we realize and that we know. And we're just kind of sitting here and waiting to see what happens next. Yeah, on a scale of one to corrupt governments. You're talking with the top two contenders in the world, probably. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's a hub for everything, for money laundering, trafficking, all sorts. So, I mean, I think a lot of things are going to come out of this. A lot of things are going to get exposed to that, you know, the public is going to learn. And it's, it's hard to really root for either side. I mean, you see the plight of the Ukrainian people, the actual people who live there who may not be connected. We've seen everything from like Russian occupied places in the east and Ukrainian citizens dancing as they're being quote unquote liberated. And then you have things all the way up till yesterday. I saw two really good ones. There was a woman in the outskirts of, of Kiev who met some Russian soldiers who were crossing the border with like uh, armored personnel carriers and they got out and they asked her what she was doing on the streets. And she was like, what the fuck are you doing here? <laughs> what are you doing here with your guns? And he's like, listen, I don't know what your deal is, but this conversation is not going to end well for you. And she grabbed like a handful of sunflower seeds and threw him at him. And they're like, grab some of those and put them in the pocket in your pocket. Because when you die in the streets here, we could at least put those on your grave and some flowers will grow out of them. Get the hell out of here. That's, that's, that's <laughs> dark. So yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a pretty viral video. It was, it was an older lady, too. And then, you know, I saw, I was talking to Noah about it before the show. Uh, there was, you know, Snake Island, which is the only, you know, mil strategic military base that they have um, mm. in the coast there. And there was it was manned by, I think, 13 people. And the guy basically live streamed his death. He was filming the Russian destroyer, which was off the coast. And he was playing the comms on his radio while he was live streaming. And the, the Russian destroyer was like, we're the Russian Navy. You need to surrender immediately. We're going to be coming to the island. Ukrainians, do you copy? And the Ukrainian guy, like, basically put the camera on himself. And he's like, Russian okay. Russian naval forces, we copy. Go fuck yourself. And then the next yeah. thing that happened, you know, the screen essentially goes black because they were shelled back to the Stone Age. But, you know, I guess if you're going to go, that's a pretty based way to go, right? Yeah. All right. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things where uh, we want to be able to continue to paint this narrative. And, and one of them is the things that our administration is worried about. This is like one of two clips that are kind of similar. One's going to be a little bit later in this whole section. Um, but the, the first one was at the uh, White House press conference yesterday. 
led by Jen Psaki. Peter Ducey wanted to know, with all the stuff going on, we're in day two of, of what essentially is a war now between Russia and Ukraine. If the administration still was, or if they were ready to reprioritize their list of things that are the greatest threat to America. Peter. Thank you, Jen. The president said in the spring that Pentagon generals had briefed him that the greatest threat facing America is global warming. Is that still the assessment now that we are facing down a potential cyber war with Russia? Well, I, uh, let me first say there is no, uh, well, we are always prepared uh, for any threat that any outside entity or country poses to the United States that relates oh. to cyber or anything else. There is no current pending threat mm. on uh, as it relates to cyber. Uh, in terms of the threats you're, you're t touching on, that was a briefing from uh, the military. So I okay. point you to them. And so as far as anybody watching who's seen the coverage, it's very, at times, distressing images of, of Russian military movements. The number one threat facing the country right now remains global warming. Well, Peter, I, I think it's important as we're all educating the public here to convey and reiterate the president has no intention of sending U.S. troops into Ukraine to fight in Ukraine. What we are doing is we are abiding by our obligations to our NATO allies and partners to ensure that they have the support and the resources uh, that they need. And that is our right and our obligation as the United States. Okay. Mm. Mm. Okay. You didn't answer my question. Right. Basically. She did answer it with a question, though, yeah. and, and then said she didn't have the data, so please go ask the military. I'm going to raise you my question so, with your question. You think general pronouns is going to be able to answer that Oof. one? <laughs> He's going to need some new lip gloss. And, and, you know, I'm sure our listenership has probably heard it. We're going to play it for you later for the pod crew here. That is not going to be the most offensive climate-driven statement of the Russian-Ukrainian war thus far. That was just the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> That's not melting. Do you have the clip from uh, whatever those freaking hags in that morning show where, where one of them was talking about... She can't go on vacation. She can't go on vacation because of this. I just, Unbelievable. I was like, it's like, wow, talk about being out of touch. Yeah, first it was COVID. Now it's this. God. Right? So inconvenient that people are dying and my vacation is canceled. <laughs> well, so then, you know, like we said, Russia moved in. Definitely surprised the world on how they did it and how big it was. And this all goes back to the minor incursion and just the tip that we've been running with for the... Just the tip. Oh, step bro. Um, you know, but it's it, we've, we've seen, like I said, we've seen some disturbing images. Uh, we've seen a lot of random stuff. I mean, this morning I was... I saw Russians using a bicycle as a weapon. <laughs> okay, Mr. Trudeau. <laughs> propaganda though like you don't you just don't know a lot of this stuff they recycle so much footage from the past as well it's 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 it's, it's true we've seen the former ukrainian president uh well, apparently the cnn's recycling victims too yeah that too. <laughs> yeah. i haven't verified that one but that's a little weird crisis actors yeah. like all over england there's just one lady on all like the newspapers on the front page and come to find out she was um i forgot where where she was like this last conflict where she was all like bloodied and, and patched up. <laughs> it's just so bad. Yeah. So who's I saw these casting choice, like who's making these casting choices. Well, these are like, like this is what you do for a living. I'm, I'm going to be a crisis actor. And then it's like, right. well, you want the job, right? Have like, you been involved? You job? It's, so, it's so insane. No, but ha have you been involved in any crises in the past six to eight months? <laughs> and you're like, well, I want this job. So no. Yep. And then it's like, you see the split screen of them at the Boston bombing at 9/11 in Oklahoma City. The any high school shooting. They're holding the passport of the of the uh, hijacker. Oh, Christine passport. 
Unbelievable. Yeah, not even. They probably just threw it out the window before they crashed. Yeah, they rolled the window down. <laughs> it was getting hot. <laughs> so we've seen some, some people in Ukraine, the former president who who was uh, voted out in 2019, he's got a roving militia with him. Oh, good. They were doing uh, an interview on CNN this morning, and he's manning the streets with uh, short barrel AK-47s and shoulder-fired missiles. Short-barreled AK-47s? I didn't think it was a thing either, but then he actually held it up on TV. I'll show you the video. Oh, no, that's an AK pistol. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm telling you how he described it. He said it was a short barrel. Short barrel. Oh. And then the guys on CNN ran with it and probably did a whole segment on how those are different from long rifles, which is one of their favorite words for any time there's a shooting here in the United States. Yeah. Did you guys see that CNN anchor who was like uh, with the background of Kiev and he's like, oh, bomb. Oh, they're blasting right now. It was the worst. It was. Yeah, I also saw a CNN team uh, on Twitter like to, like yesterday and it's like the Russians just took over this town outside of Kiev. They said we could go with them and we're going to go with them. And they're like literally walking behind the guys who are shooting at people like across yeah. a berm. And I'm like, how is this even a thing? <laughs> and then, the, well, the current president of Ukraine also is is running around with a militia. And I saw that as well. And then there's the billionaire uh, Klitschko, who could have left and lived anywhere in the world. But he decided to pour a whole bunch of his own money into black market weapons and now is arming the citizens of Ukraine. Which yeah, I think good for him. Pretty cool, too. To the, back to the black market weapons thing. That's mm-hmm. a prime example of why your entire citizenship, citizenry? Mm-hmm should be familiar with firearms because a lot of these people have never held a gun before or a shoulder fired missile. I mean, I've never held a shoulder fired missile. Would you like to? Yes. Sure. You don't have one. I don't have one. Big Dick Rick Grinnell joined Rob Schmidt on Newsmax last night to talk about, you know, some of the things that have been going on over the past 48 hours inside Russia and Ukraine. And this gets worse every time I try to describe it inside. There you go. Uh, Let's hear him kind of weigh in on, on, on the first 48 hours. Look, Rob, um, first of all, let's just say that uh, we should all be saying a prayer for the people of Ukraine. This is a needless war. It should not be happening. Hmm. And I blame the Germans for showing how weak they were going to be on the world stage, certainly encouraging NATO members to not help Ukraine, certainly telling the Ukraine. Ukrainian government to uh, take NATO membership off the uh, off the options list to to give in to the Russians. The weakness that the Germans have created has really caused this rewriting of borders in Europe. I also uh, have to put the diplomatic failure here squarely on the Biden team, and this is a diplomatic failure. Uh, very few places. Um, will ever hold bureaucrats to account. But the reality is, is when you look at war, it means that the State Department has failed. And this is what we're looking at. Anthony Blinken uh, has not delivered the tough diplomacy that should have come forward. Joe Biden has not delivered tough diplomacy in the face of Russian aggression. Um, yeah. This is uh, a, a needless war, and uh, let's just remind everybody that the Biden administration and the Senate Democrats took the sanctions off the Russian Nord Stream yep. 2 pipeline at mm-hmm. the request of the Germans. Chancellor Merkel is responsible for creating the system here where the Russians had influence in Europe and felt empowered. 
and we are seeing uh, what what all of that is um, uh, how all of that is unfolding right before mm. our eyes. Speaking of pipelines, do you think this is going to trigger us to restart the Keystone? Well, I know a lot of people on the uh, Republican side of the aisle have been calling for it the last couple of days, especially using CPAC as a platform to do so. Yeah, I mean, but is this going to be a leverage or a fulcrum for them to actually get it to, to happen, I wonder, just because like, oh, well, we're going to do it, but only because we have to now. I guess we're going to have to see how far they decide to take it. And I mean, uh, they're still screaming climate change pretty loud, so. And we'll get back to that in a second. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of the picture he was painting. Now, remember, the the pipeline that, okay, so we pay the most for NATO, even though we'll probably do the least if anything ever happened. Um, and we're the furthest away. Germany, who's, <laughs> right, rich as a nation itself, pays a fraction of what we do. And in addition to that, so NATO's basically there to make sure that Russia never becomes the Soviet Union and make it great again. So they have the natural gas pipeline deal, uh, the Nord Stream. So we're paying to protect Europe from Russia, which includes Germany, and Germany's paying Russia for oil and natural gas to fuel their country. Makes total sense, Antoinette, don't you think? So let me get this straight. We're paying for everything, basically. Mm -hmm. And... Germany's making deals for, with people that we're supposed to be protecting them from. I mean, make it make sense. Make it not clown world. This is classic, <laughs> classic I mean, Biden. You know what's so, happening? Go ahead. No. So we pay the most for NATO. Correct. NATO to protect Germany and other countries from Russia. Meanwhile, Germany is, is making deals with the adversary. It's just, it's ridiculous. To get 80% of their natural gas for their country from right. Russia. And I think Trump has mentioned this many, many times in the past, too. Oh, we're going to get to that in a bit. Pretty funny that you mentioned it because the next clip is, I guess, Papacito had had enough. And uh, he dialed in to Laura Ingram last mm -hmm. night to talk to her on her show, Unscripted. She booted a guest immediately as soon as he did, which anyone else would. <laughs> And she's like, yeah, we got President Trump on the phone. Got to go. Thanks for joining us. And the guy's picture just like minimizes out. <laughs> and then the cell phone image comes in. I mean, you, you got to kind of expect it, but that's got to be kind of disappointing. Like, I was about to make my big point and talk yeah, about my book. You can't even be mad about it if you're the guest. Yeah. You're like, shit, you know. How I would have just been like, fuck no, three-way call. Do you think, you <laughs> right? think uh, he was in his bed and he just like calls for Dan Scavino? <laughs> Daniel, get Laura on the phone. <laughs> Let's hear Trump. Join Laura Ingram last night. Um, President Trump, thank you for joining uh, us tonight uh, via telephone. Uh, you're watching this unfold. Your reaction to Putin's threat if uh, any Western nation or any nation intervenes with this Russian military action? Well, this is something that should have never happened. This would not have happened during my administration. In fact, some people were saying, why didn't this take place? take place uh, over the last four years during our administration, and it didn't for a very good reason, and I'll explain that to you someday, but it wouldn't have taken place, and it wouldn't have taken place right now. Sounds like he's got his TV and on it's a very the sad yeah. thing for the world, for the country, and it's certainly very sad for a lot of people that are going to be needlessly killed. Well, give us, give us a sense, though. I mean, you, you know Vladimir Putin. I mean, you've dealt with him. 
Uh, how would you have avoided this conflict? How, how would you have prevented these series of events from unfolding? Well, look, I do know him, and I know him very well. We've had many, many uh, times together. I got along with him fantastically, despite the fact that I shut down Nord Stream 2. Nobody would have heard of Nord Stream 2 if it weren't for me. I'm the one that shut it down, and I'm the one that told uh, Angela, you're doing a terrible thing by doing this, and they were going to get 75%, not 30%, 75% of their energy from Nord Stream 2. It was ridiculous. If you remember, I told you this uh, privately once, I sent them a white flag, a flag of surrender. I gave it to She said, what does this mean? I said, that means you'll surrender as far as <laughs> Russia is concerned. They've had a lot of conflicts over the centuries. She's like, what so is this, a, a dream it's, sheet? A, it's a terrible thing. Uh, the way it started, it I really don't believe he wanted to do this initially. I think he wanted to do something and negotiate, and it just got worse and worse. And yep. then he saw the weakness. And you know, it really started, I think, with the weakness in afghanistan the way they pulled out of afghanistan i really believe that's where he started thinking you know he can do this because when he saw how pathetic Mm. (laughs) listen he he makes grandos statements but which of them are false i mean always legit it always ends up being the truth you know (laughs) the, the the thing can you imagine Joe Biden calling into a radio show and having a coherent conversation with anybody? No. No. It's like it's just a it's a just a completely illuminating on just like what kind of president we have now or don't have. And terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, it's such a stark contrast from one to the other. It's it's crazy. Yeah, it certainly is. Um former failed presidential candidate, Me. Skull and Bones member. Oh. John Kerry. Oh, yeah. The nobody, crypt, nobody likes that guy. The Crypt Keeper. Um, jumped on with uh, BBC Arabic while on tour in his private jet telling everybody how climate change is the worst thing ever. And he actually weighed in on, on this situation and, and some of the things that he hoped at the end of the day Vladimir Putin kept in the front of his mind. Oh, jeez. I'm very concerned about I'm concerned about Ukraine because of the people of Ukraine and because of the principles that are at risk uh, in terms of international law and trying to change boundaries of international law by force. Uh, I thought we lived in a world that had said no to that kind of activity. Clearly wrong. I hope wrong. diplomacy will win. But massive uh, emissions consequences to the war. But equally importantly, you're going to lose people's focus. You're going to lose certainly big country attention because they will be diverted and and uh, I think it could have a damaging impact. So, you know, I think hopefully President Putin would realize that in the northern part of his country, they used to live on 66% of a nation that was over frozen land. Now it's thawing and his infrastructure is at risk and the people of Russia are at risk. And so I hope President Putin will help us to stay on track with respect to what we need to do for the climate. Oh, scissor me timbers. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Just shut up and stop it. Started to like. As he was explaining that, out. they kept going back to the, to the lady that was interviewing him and she looked so uncomfortable. Oh my gosh. Like you're completely irrelevant. And why not just bring up an irrelevant point? 
Right. Like, let's just make it like three strikes are out. Like, become more irrelevant. I dare you. It's like, yeah, it's like just when you think it can't get worse. <sighs> the first time I saw the clip, I, re- I read the narrative and I thought it was fake. His, his country is thawing. Or, it's going to ruin his infrastructure. Or old. I think, you know, he's talking about the northern portion of Ukraine that used to be under ice. I wonder if it had anything to do with the nuclear meltdown they had there at Chernobyl and why the ice has kind of rescinded a little bit. Very sad. I don't know if that's how that works. I'm making a joke. <laughs> Get it? Nuclear meltdown? <laughs> Thanks a lot. Yeah. Well, someone who's not as funny as me apparently is is Glenn, Glenn Greenwald. He jumped on with Tucky last night because the whole narrative behind this thing is how do we get it to stop? What, what's the end game here? And, and what's the big reason? We already talked about it. You know, as a sovereign nation, regardless of whether you like it or not, Putin has to feel threatened by the increasing amount of countries that keep being allowed to join NATO and kind of encircle him. Right. Like, you know, I don't ever see NATO initiating a war, but we all know how the false flag events work around the world. You get enough countries in there to where it's just a numbers game. Yeah. And it's not like you want to invade a nuclear superpower, but if you ever wanted to really neutralize somebody and make sure like there couldn't be a mass exodus from the country, bad actors couldn't get out and, and really choke him off. Is that another, is that another thing? You know, the whole economy driven part of it. Um, you, you basically put Russia on an Island, even though it's, you know, three quarters of the way landlocked um, economically. And they become like, you know, the, the honey badger that's backed into a corner. Yep. So mm-hmm. what what does Russia want immediately to maybe look in a different direction from this military incursion that's going on in Ukraine right now? Let's hear Glenn Greenwald weigh in on it. For coming on. So what's this is obviously taking place as we speak, and it's hard to know the full outlines of it, but give us your reaction to it, if you would. Well, one of the most striking things is this immediate climate that has arisen where there's a lockstep, unified script that everyone's required to follow. And if you don't, if you question it at all, you get accused of being a traitor to the United States and or an agent of the Kremlin. And one of the things most remarkable about this is that what you're not allowed to say now is something that people at the highest levels of the U.S. government have been saying for many years. For example, the idea that it is incredibly provocative, legitimately so from the perspective of the Russians to expand NATO up to Russian borders is something that if you say now, both to identify the cause of the tensions, but also a way out of this war to say we won't expand any further, including to Ukraine, you get accused of being a a Putin spokesman, even though people like the director of the CIA, the current one, William Burns, said back in 2008, warning the Bush administration about expanding NATO on the grounds that it's not just Putin, but everyone in Russia, including his enlightened liberal opponents who view that as a grave threat to Russian national security. Or if you say, we believe that Ukraine is of vital national interest to Russia, but not to the United States, and therefore the U.S. shouldn't risk war directly or indirectly with Russia, you get accused of being a traitor. And yet that was Barack Obama's position for eight years when asked why he wouldn't flood Ukraine with lethal weapons. And so, so many of the things that have been long recognized suddenly overnight became taboo. So you've got to wonder, I mean, in this environment, I think it would be very difficult for the Biden administration. And I think there probably are some people there who agree with you. But to say out loud, look, we deplore the invasion of Ukraine. I'm speaking for myself here, too. 
but we're really worried about where this could go and the effects on our country and the world. And so maybe it doesn't undercut our national interest to say what we've said for genera you know, for decades, we're not going to expand NATO to your borders. What would we lose in that? A sincere question, do you think? That, it's an important question because this is an incredibly dangerous war, Tucker. There's two countries with the largest nuclear stockpiles on the planet on opposite sides. Mm -hmm. And and there's and this follows five years of extreme hostilities created in Washington due to Russiagate and other things yep. that demanded that we not even talk to Russian diplomats and that we treat them as this grave threat. It's an incredibly dangerous situation. We should have yeah. done everything we could to avert the war and should do everything now to try and defuse it. And so if all we have to do which is the Kremlin position is promise that NATO will never expand to Ukraine and have Ukraine say the same thing. Why aren't we doing that? Maybe that wouldn't work. The Russians say it will. But why haven't we done that until now? And why aren't we doing that now, given how dangerous this war and how horrific this war is to watch unfold? So for the record, and I don't take credit for very many things because I am not a journalist, um, a <laughs> political analyst and a commentator. I did say before Glenn Greenwald that the whole non-negotiating in that we don't have right now between Russia and U Ukraine is because we created two completely fabricated scandals here in the United States over the course of the last six years. Yeah. Centered around mm -hmm. both of those countries. So if there were three of us in a room, hypothetically, and we all sat down in three chairs and stood and stared at each other, and I was the first one to open my mouth as to mediate the three parties in the room, I think both of those people, even though they're literally killing each other now, would look at us and be like, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's kind of where we're at with, uh, you know, and I think he paints a really good picture, though. Um, just completely take it off the table. I, I don't think Ukraine would have ever been a NATO country. They would have to take so many more steps to be legitimate enough, as clean enough. It might, it might be a, f a couple presidents down the road. You're talking decade or longer so mm -hmm. if it's if it's not even in like the near vernacular of of what's going on right now just take it off the table have an official statement come out from nato we're not considering them we were never considering them if it's something we need to revisit a decade from now when ukraine gets more on its feet they've only been a sovereign nation for 30 some odd years we'll look at it but as of right now not going to happen you might not have seen what's happened in the past two days with with russia invading and like you said, even the radical liberal progressives there, the counter-communism party and all those people in Russia, they don't want this shit either because they no. know what happens. They get into power eventually and then, okay, so they're not as strong and as crazy and as big a killers as Putin. The world will just choke them off and make them even more irrelevant. What does that do that directly hurts their people that they don't necessarily give a shit about? But at the same time, you know, you still have to take into consideration you at least play, play it by face and say you do care about your people even though they're eating gruel and bread lines bread. You don't like gruel? Never had. <laughs> so Wait, Trump, what's, go what's ahead. gruel? Oh, that's what they eat in Russia. It's like that, you know, it's like the Russian version of porridge. Porridge? Yeah. Oh, I never heard it called gruel. I learn something new every day. I was a Cold War kid, so it was always good versus evil on every single cartoon and stuff. Yeah. Growing <laughs> up. But uh, Trump knew, we all know it. He knew from the beginning. He tried to warn everybody throughout the, the course of his presidency, and, and everybody called him crazy. They called him a separatist. They called him an isolationist. They, they said he was completely going against the diplomatic narrative while they're all lining their pockets with Russian oil and Russian energy and black market stuff. 
And the last clip we're going to play on this segment before we break down a couple other things regarding it. Let's hear Trump at the last time he spoke at NATO headquarters in front of all of his European counterparts and just exactly he felt this was all going to eventually go. And what a lot of the focus they weren't paying attention to should have been where they had their focus attended to. NATO of the future must include a great focus on terrorism and immigration, as well as threats from Russia and on NATO's eastern and southern borders. These grave security concerns are the same reason that I have been very, very direct with Secretary Stoltenberg and members of the alliance in saying that NATO members must finally contribute their fair share and meet their financial obligations. But 23 of the 28 member nations are still not paying what they should be paying and what they are supposed to be paying for their defense. This is not fair to the people and taxpayers of the United States. And many of these nations owe massive amounts of money from past years Mm -hmm. and not paying in those past years. Over the last eight years, the United States spent more on defense than all other NATO countries combined. If all NATO members had spent just 2% of their GDP on defense last year, we would have had another $119 billion for our collective defense and for the financing of additional NATO reserves. They're all shaking their heads and laughing at him while he's talking. We should recognize that with these chronic underpayments and growing threats, even 2% of GDP is insufficient to close the gaps in modernizing readiness and the size of forces. We have to make up for the many years lost. 2% is the bare minimum for confronting today's very real and very vicious threats. If NATO countries made their full and complete contributions, then NATO would be even stronger than it is today. Sounds pretty simple, right? And they're just laughing at him. Like, oh, yeah, ha, ha, yeah, we're not going to pay our fair share. Fuck you. Yeah, you see Macron laughing and looking over his shoulder and getting other people behind him to laugh. You see Angela Merkel shaking her head and then looking at, like, one of the other presidents from over there and, like, making, like, the sneery eyes. Like, she's like, oh, I can't wait till this is fucking What, like, so we're not paying more than they are? Like, I mean, come on. We're paying it's a lot hilarious that they underestimated him so bigly. And, and I bet you a, a, a overwhelming majority of them wish he was back right now. Yeah. yeah so definitely. they'll so, never admit it. No, no, of course not. I, I guarantee next round there will be a whole lot more respect. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So we, we, we've heard some we've heard some statements come out of the past two days and and some different other sovereign nations weigh in. Um, one that surprised me a little bit came across the wire at about three thirty four o'clock this morning. The Taliban issued a statement on. The war between oh, Russia my God, and Ukraine. I saw that. It was oh, tough. good. Yeah. <laughs> this should be good. You ready? Yeah. The Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan is closely monitoring the situation in Ukraine and expresses big concerns about the real possibility of civilian casualties. Oh, gosh. The Islamic Emirate calls for both parties to be restrained, 
restrained and all sides to desist from taking positions that could intensify violence. Wait, wait. So the people that bury pressure cookers full of fucking TNT are worried about <laughs> civilian casualties. The Islamic Emirate of <laughs> Afghanistan, in line with foreign policy and neutrality, calls on both sides of the conflict to resolve the crisis through dialogue and peaceful means. Peaceful memes? Nah. The Islamic Emirate also calls on all parties involved to the conflict to pay attention to safeguarding the lives of Afghan students and migrants in Ukraine. There you go. Imagine if it's the Taliban that gets everybody to make. (laughs) What if the Taliban mentioned climate change? (laughs) I'm pretty sure they won't. They could ask the guys that they're throwing off the buildings, how's the wind on the way down? Yeah. It also was revealed today. Pretty funny. China, who has called for bilateral conversations between the UK and Russia to resume in Belarus at the highest levels. Um, There was a report that was leaked from a White House insider. You ready for this one? The U.S. met with China over over the course of three months and presented them with viable intelligence showing Russia's troop buildup near the Ukraine borders and urged Beijing to help avert war, a U.S. government official said. The Chinese officials rebuffed the U.S. information and then took it and shared it with Moscow. Yeah, that's a solid move, I guess. If you're hmm. going to just turn around and fuck somebody over. Like China always does. Yeah. Basically. Chechnya, who has a uh, Russian plant as their leader now, um, Ramzan Kadyrov, mobilized his enormous paramilitary death squads in the last 12 hours. They were parading in Center Square in the capital of Chechnya. They're called the... Uh, Caterovites, and they're moving in through now the cleared road at Chernobyl into Ukraine, and that's where you're probably going to see some of the biggest uh, human rights violations in regards to yeah, the Chechens don't play at Mm -mm. all, Mm -mm. at all. So that's kind of up up to the minute where we're at. Um, You might be thinking like, "Hey, stakes." You didn't mention any of the the sanctions or lack thereof, and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Well, that's because after we have our America First interview with gubernatorial candidate Michelle Fiore, who's running to be the next governor of Nevada, um, we're going to talk about the Joe Biden press conference that happened yesterday and how embarrassing on the international stage that just was. So as Michelle's getting ready to join us right now, all right, coming in to join us first today on Steak for Breakfast, she's a true conservative running in the gubernatorial race. And uh, she's been called the Lady Trump. I definitely loved her rollout video. I showed it to the gang here on the podcast, and yeah, they, they, they agreed. Uh, Michelle Fury, thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast today. Thank you so much for having me. It's very exciting. I'm sitting here looking at your studio. I love all your flags. Um, I feel like I'm in the right place. You certainly are. And uh, how's everything going on your end? Oh, it's going well. I mean, we are out literally. I leave the house generally at 6 a.m., uh, yesterday, we got in at 1030 p.m. Um, so we're out on the trail. We're meeting a lot of different groups, uh, a lot of different folks. We have 17 counties here in the state of Nevada. Um, and I'm fortunate because as I travel the state, I've been traveling the state for six years as the Republican National Committee woman. So I'm really, really familiar with our county chairs and our county issues and fundraising out in our counties. And right now we're doing our Lincoln Day Circuit um, yesterday, I gave a speech to all the sheriffs and chiefs in the state of Nevada at their quarterly meeting. 
Of course, Lombardo didn't show, mm-hmm. but we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it was really, really great and amazing. And the folks are amazing. Um, we have a huge grassroots effort going out as well as our mail and our commercials. And, you know, it's a lot of work, um, but when you're fighting for Nevada, you have to do it. Yeah, those are some good points right there and definitely some great FaceTime. I think schedule-wise, you could probably hang out with us. Mm-hmm. No and I sleep about uh, three hours a day as well, and Antoinette's got a toddler at home, so she's always on the run. Um Listen, the campaign rollout seems like it was uh, pretty successful. How's everything been going? You said you're hitting the trail. How well have you been received? I mean, you know, there were some big, big issues in in Nevada during the last uh, presidential election. And, you know, there's some huge advocates there fighting for uh, election integrity. You're one of them. Um, So the people know that Nevada isn't a purple state. It's not a blue state. It's a red state. And uh, what are you doing out there? Uh, you know, how has the reception been from the constituency as you're going across the state? It's been really great. We definitely have to continually fight the apathy of voter integrity. Why? Because some people are feeling like their votes don't count and their votes do count. Um, we just have to make sure that every single precinct, every single county, every single county clerk, Um, is looking at who's voting um, and making sure that they actually live there. That's one of our biggest problems here in Nevada. And and when this happened, I spent my own PAC money in access of $50,000 to have myself and some troops on the ground, hired some attorneys to go up against the Clark County Commission, which is all Democrats, Mm -hmm. um, to really talk about people that were voting that didn't live there. We door knocked, we got affidavits. So I saw it for myself. A lot of folks... You know, they might uh, be parrots like the liberal progressive media and they hear one thing and they just repeat it, repeat it, repeat it. I don't repeat anything. I literally do it myself, get the truth, get the facts. So when I say there's voter fraud here in Nevada, it's because I've got the affidavits to to tell you that. Yeah, that's uh, one of the things we've heard from uh, the senatorial candidate we've had on our show recently. Adam Lexalt joined us. A few yeah. weeks ago, and, uh, you know, he worked in uh, the Trump campaign in, for 2020 and uh, is definitely a huge advocate of, of voter integrity there. And I know one of our guests coming up, we're going to have on uh, uh, Carolina Serrano. She's running in Nevada 4, and she's also a huge election integrity. So it's kind of good, I mean, between all the different ways you can run in Nevada to see a lot of these America First candidates, you know, coming to the top and, and holding those things uh, strong in their cap- campaign platforms that are actually important to the voters, And that's making sure that their vote counts when uh, we have elections. That's right. And let me tell you, if we lose uh, voter integrity, we will lose our republic. Um, And you see what's happening, you know, around the world right now. And it is extremely important that people keep the faith and continue to vote and know that there are folks just like me and a lot of us that are standing up to the cheating. Yeah, that's a. It's an excellent point you make. It's good to see everybody kind of rallying around the base and, and this whole grassroots America first movement uh, that's looking to head into these midterms and then onward towards the 2024 general election. It, it, it's a really a great thing to see, and we talk about it almost every week on here. Yeah, I think people are definitely seeing that elections have very, very, very serious consequences and ramifications. You think there's some people in Ukraine that feel the same way with you right now? Yeah. I think so, too. Um, you know, I did want to talk about a couple of your other uh campaign platforms that I saw mentioned, uh, you know, that I know that you've been hyping up pretty good. You talked about banning the mandates and uh, never circling back to that. Let's talk about how it was on the ground in in Nevada. And then I know you guys recently dropped most of them. I'm not sure if all of them, but uh, why don't you give our listenership a little bit of uh, 
how you are going to kind of differ from the current governor that's in there. Thank you so much. So unfortunately, we have not dropped the vaccine mandates. We had one of my opponents, the sheriff of Clark County, um, drop it. But that's just because I kicked his butt for three months saying, hey, it's unconstitutional. Plus, you're a union. You cannot um, mandate vaccines on some of your union members and not your others. So he saw his poll numbers going down and then he dropped it, but he only dropped it because of political reasons. Um, the vaccine mandates have not been dropped. And unfortunately, when we look at our economy, when we look at what, what happens to folks and their livelihood, they've been forced to resign from our universities and our hospitals and some of the big corporations. So these folks have been forced to resign um, and now we have pauses in our school weeks because there's not enough teachers to teach our children. We have, you know, hospitals that are not doing elective surgeries because they don't have enough nurses because they refuse to get the vaccine. Um, and this is becoming a real issue. And then here's the other portion of that that people don't want to talk about. When you're forced to resign and you go to file for unemployment and get denied, then you have to appeal it because they're looking at your unemployment application and it looks like you resigned instead of being you know forced to resign so it the the um ripple effect of what this sad governor has done to the state of nevada by closing it down for over a year and a half um has really cost many people their livelihoods their homes um their animals because think about this i have two big dogs if i had to leave my house and go stay with a friend they're not going to take my two big dogs, especially if they have little kids or something like yeah. that. So, I mean, the atrocities that have happened, people don't realize how bad it is. This governor really ruined Nevada. Yeah, and this is stuff that people will not bounce back from, like people losing their businesses, people losing their homes. It's like that's something that people just in general, before all this stuff happened, they they were holding on by a thread just in general, keeping all that stuff. And then now it's just like, oh, now you're shit out of luck. Yeah, yeah, to say the yeah. least. Yep, exactly. It's not. It's not okay. Well, it's not I'll, okay. I'll take the next step, which is something that kind of ties into the mandates. When you talk about the children, it's some of the stuff that's going on in the schools. Uh, we did see, you know, kids across the country for the most part are still forced to be masked, even though the science actually is counter to that narrative. Uh, we saw that I believe it was the CDC that changed a lot of the. Uh, chronological milestones for children, reading, writing, walking, talking, and all that stuff, uh, you know, recently, and that, there can only be one real strong correlation there. It has to go back to mass. But when, when you get past that narrative and get into like some of the content that they're learning in school, I know you're a huge advocate for uh, ending the teaching of critical race theory and all of its pronouns, no matter how they try to hide it in uh, curriculums for the people in, in Nevada. What do you think? Uh, how do you want to weigh in on that one? So uh, thank you so much for that question. And it's really, it's a very important, it's a very important issue across America, but especially here in Nevada, they have literally implemented CRT in all subjects. And when we look at K through 12, when we hear professors and teachers talking about your privilege because of your skin color, uh, that really is, parents are waking up. I don't care if they're Democrat, Republican, they're waking up. And, and our universities with CRT, everything from criminology to sociology to psychology, everything is implemented and infiltrated with the CRT. When I say that, you'll be taking a course and you'll hear America was built on racism. The HUD housing, you know, this president, blacks couldn't do this, black. And, and they literally want a, 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 um, a division and and it's literally a constructed division that they're doing to make people black and white 
um, hate each other and they're trying to keep racism alive. And it's, it's 2022. Listen, there's so many inner interracial families. I mean, myself, right. I'm an Italian woman. I have white skin. Uh, my uncle is black. My, my grandfather, may he rest in peace, uh, from Italy was, you know, Mr. Happy Pants. And we had a beautiful black neighbor and, uh, and up, out pops uncle Simon, who's a federal officer. <laughs> so, you know, when people want to call, you know, people racist and, and talk about racism, they, they have no clue what they're talking about. They're being a parrot. They, they are unintelligent. And, and again, um, critical race theory has no place in America. Americans are Americans. That's it. We should never, ever allow folks to divide us by our skin color. Well, that's an excellent point you make. I, I don't think a lot of these, you know. Vir- well, you, little kids don't see that. It's not. Unless you point it out, little kids don't see it. No. They don't. I have seven grandkids. They don't see it. Yeah. I have seven grandchildren. And and they don't see it and they and they love their friends and until until an old grouchy um person you know tells their child you know bad things um that's where it comes from yeah. and it's really sad yeah i don't think they uh the parents like you were saying the kids don't see it but then the stuff that's ingrained with them i don't think the parents really realize where this is going to go no it's it's going to cause 15 years yeah. down the road and uh you know you 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 really are in, reinstilling the seeds of hate into children who are just so innocent uh at the ages they're being taught in that stuff listen if you want to go off and based off your uh your major and stuff like that you want to teach this stuff in like college or law school or places where it might be applicable because you'll see cases involving race and and bias and stuff like that that's fine because you know those, most of those institutions are private and, and the people that come out of there are going to have their narrative regardless they've existed in the united states you know since they're all in the legacy media anyway but blanket teaching it to kids across the nation i just think you couldn't go a worse route than that yeah and don't forget this has been happening for 50 years yeah. i mean when they want to destroy a country, they start with our children. So for the last you know, five decades, they've been implementing a very liberal, progressive uh, teaching agenda to our children. And unless the parents and grandparents, like I have a huge say, my grandkids go to Founders Academy, which their curriculum is tied with the Hillsdale College. So, and before that, when they were toddlers, they went to Challenger, which literally teaches three-year-olds that we're a republic, not a democracy. So these are things that we as parents and grandparents have to make sure that we're catching and erasing the hate and the secret racism that they're teaching in school. Yeah, that's a, a huge factor right there. Michelle, one of the things I wanted to touch on next, I think it's probably most important as soon as we get out of your uh, some of the pillars of your campaign is uh, your opponents. Can you give our uh, listenership a little, you know, maybe about a couple of them that are going toe-to-toe with you right now, obviously not be able to, uh, you know, match up with you and all the fire that you're bringing to the table, but uh, what are some of the things that you're seeing on the campaign trail opponent-wise? So, of course, we've got the sheriff who is a 100% flip-flopper, and um, when I say that, I mean, you have to understand this sheriff, when this governor said shut business down he was out there citing businesses that were just trying to make a living and put food on the table he was having his deputies just like a gestapo and you think about that for a minute and this guy who who follows the orders of an authority it reminds me of that milgram experiment in college if you recall you know it just really 
it's a scary situation when you're going to put an individual in, consider putting an individual in the governor's seat that would literally follow orders because they think it's the authority is higher than them. So right now, this particular individual follows the polls right now. So he found out that mandating the vaccines on his new officers was unpopular. So he dropped <laughs> it. That. But prior to that, he was all for it, all for masks, citing companies, um, lying about the October 1st shooting that we had here. Um, and he's just not a truthful individual. And he literally puts out these mailers and these commercials. His his commercial, I swear, you're going to love this, you guys. Talking about douchey. His last commercial, <laughs> it was like a summer's eve douche commercial. It was happy and flowing. And he's so great. It was it made me almost throw up. Anyway, yeah. So this is the, the number one guy right now that we need to take down. The number two guy that I'm going head to head with right now is Dean Heller. Dean is a nice guy. Yeah. His policy is not. And he's a never Trumper. So yeah. he he lost his last race uh, against Jackie Rosen. He sat on the sidelines through this whole thing. And now he wants to run for governor. Then you have Joey Gilbert, which you basically mm. pinned him. Used car salesman, joker, dresses in a purple suit, just like a joker. Um, very loud, very big, loud mouth, have crazy people following him. Um, then you have Mayor John Lee, which was a Democrat in North Las Vegas, who switched to a Republican 30 days before he announced. He's got some major issues, this guy. He's going to put a million or five million of his own money into this race. Um, this guy uh, was um, investigated by the FBI for kitty porn. He turned around and said he opened up a link on his on his email, which was a lie. He was actually in the search engine and trust, but verify this is all over the place. So he was searching for kitty porn, most likely little boys. And uh, so this is John Lee, Mayor John Lee out of North Las Vegas. Sorry, but that's got to come out. And um, and then you have a guy from California, a retired doctor who ran for Congress in California, uh, failed there, moved to Nevada in Gardnerville, opened up a little pizza shop, and now he's running for governor. It's like a joke. We were debating and he all of a sudden forgot where he was. I guess he thought he was in California. And he starts talking about if he's the governor in five years, he's going to federally <clears throat> regulate guns. And all of a sudden he realized what he was saying and he shut up. He just <laughs> took it back. He called America democracy. Again, you know, as a surgeon, he has no idea what um, America is about. You know, he might or whatever. He was a trauma ER doctor, whatever he was. And then we have a really nice millionaire named Guy who is uh, lives in California, Palo Alto, but had bought a house here a while ago. Um, again, another millionaire throwing money to the wind, a Nana Nevada. Um, and that's really, that's really the scope of it. So there's nine men and myself, none of them have the record I do from fighting the federal government and winning, kicking the crap out of the Bureau of Land Management out of Nevada, standing with the ranchers, standing with the truckers and all these people the men that are running in this race want to talk about when they're governor, they're going to fight, when they're governor, they're going to make school choice. All that I do and I've done. So we already have school choice. Um, Scott Hammond had sponsored a bill. We all voted for it. We got it on the books. Um, we already have school vouchers. We already have um, the breakup of the school district study in place. So everything that they're talking about when they're governor and where were they for the past 10 years? Where were they? Right. As I'm fighting and, and making law and changing things. Joey Gilbert's a great example. When I'm fighting against Brian Sandoval, when he was the governor against his business commerce tax, Joey Gilbert was his big lobbyist, yep. literally tweeting out, I'm such a nut job. So there you have it all in a nutshell. We have nine men uh, and myself. And I have to say, I probably have more guts than all of them put together. And definitely more experience mm -hmm. than all of them put together yeah. as well. I think, uh, yeah. yeah, I'd like to, debates coming up anytime soon? Yeah, we have a debate 
coming up, I believe, March 12th with uh, up north with the, uh, I think, Carson City Republican women. Um, but there's only a few people going to attend there. And it's so funny because they originally didn't invite me. Um, <laughs> they, they invited like the three, like the the Fred, the doctor who I think he's at 4%. And, and of course, uh, Joey. And then I don't know, just I don't know where they get their numbers from. But anyway, so they called me and they're like, oh, you know, someone canceled. So can you come? Mm. Yeah, of course I can come. <laughs> you know? Wow. Yeah. yeah. I can only imagine how uh, much fire you're going to bring to that one and how embarrassed all those guys are going to feel after that debate. Yeah. You've been doing it for so long. You bring so much experience to the table. There's no way to to adequately prepare, especially if you're not really into politics or even have lived in Nevada, like you've mentioned some of the candidates, because yeah. like you said, you've been on the ground, you've been doing it all. Yeah. You've been voting, you've been legislating and uh, yeah. making a real difference. Michelle, this has been pretty awesome getting to know you today. We are definitely going to ask for you to come back at some point in the future and give us a, a, an update on your campaign. And we're going to be supporting you from here on out. We already have been on social media, but we want to direct as much traffic as we can to, uh, you know, we got a pretty big listenership in, in Nevada, especially in Las Vegas, and uh, they need to be knocking on doors and donating to your campaign. So can, websites and social medias. Thank you so much. Yes, they can go to my website at Vote Fiori, that's V as in Victor, O, T as in Tom, E, F as in Flower, I, O, R, E dot com. That's my website. I'm on um, Facebook uh, at Michelle Fiore, um, with And Michelle is spelled with one L, so it's M-I-C-H-E-L-E. -E. Uh, Fiore means flower in Italian, F-I-O-R-E. Um, and I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter, Twitter at Vote Fiore, Instagram at Vote Fiore. Um, another thing besides my legislative experience, I've been in Nevada for 31 plus years, and I've also had several companies that have hired over 2,000 Nevadans. So as a businesswoman, you know, um, a government individual that's in government because I don't trust the government and we need to watch the government, um, the boys in this race, they just should just go home. They certainly should, and they might be packing their bags after that uh, debate that's coming up in early March. Pack up your purple suit. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. This is the true conservative candidate who's looking to uh, be the next governor of Nevada. Michelle Fury, thank you for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Well, what would be the response to the Russian incursion or invasion of Ukraine? I think we don't have to go much further than to... Well, we're past just the tip. Yeah. <laughs> we're all the way in there now. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I think one of the things we have to look at is, is what would the response be from the administration? And lucky for us, it came in the form of a Joe Biden press conference. Oh, good. I'm sure, that'll be compelling and rich. Why? What's wrong with Joe Biden press conferences? He answers all the questions. He never just walks away. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, it was just as bad, if not worse, than, than you would have speculated if you didn't get to hear it actually yesterday. And, and, and part of the reason for that is what we actually did um, to counter this narrative, which is Russia has tanks, missiles, helicopters, boats, planes, etc., troops. We used words and non-binding thoughts and prayers, pretty much, for the people of Ukraine. Even if that, and we we might get to that in a little bit, but I'm going to play a couple segments from this yesterday. I'm going to apologize in advance to our listenership. Uh, all we can do is really report the news. We can't change the narrative of it. it. It might be better for me to read the transcripts, but I can't do a really good Joe Biden voice yet, but I Oof. have been practicing. Um, 
let's start off with with what the Biden regime was going to uh, do in regards to this invasion into Ukraine against Russia. And then we'll paint that narrative for you uh, moving forward now of what it really looks like. We've been transparent with the world. We've shared declassified evidence about Russia's plans and cyber attacks and false pretexts so that there could be no confusion or cover-up about what Putin was doing. Putin is the aggressor. Putin chose this war. And now he and his country will bear the consequences. Today, I'm authorizing additional strong sanctions and new limitations on what can be exported to Russia. This is going to impose severe cost on the Russian economy, both immediately and over time. We have purposefully designed these sanctions to maximize the long-term impact on Russia and to minimize the impact on the United States and our allies. Yeah, because our inflation can't really get much worse. Or can it? Or can it? I, I just... So many questions. No answers. No, there's not. What a stupid son of a bitch. Y- yes, he is. And, and you know, we're going to get into what the consequences were. He, he talked about who it was going to affect the most. Spoiler alert, it's not Putin or any yeah, of no. the government officials or anything like that. Um, but don't worry, he does want to limit the ability that they can do to conduct business in dollars, euros, pounds, and yens. Who writes these speeches? <laughs> I want to be clear. The United States is not doing this alone. For months, we've been building a coalition of partners representing well more than half the global economy. I like the Avengers. <laughs> 27 members of the European Union, including France, Germany, Italy, as well as the United Kingdom, Canada, Japan, Australia, New Zealand, and many others to Canada's amplify the, the joint Union? impact of our response. <laughs> I just spoke with the G7 leaders this morning, and we're in full and total agreement. We will limit Russia's ability to do business in dollars, euros, pounds, and yen to be part of the global economy. We'll limit their ability to do that. I'm sure you will, Grandpa. Well, Russia has been planning around doing something like this for a long time. Like the, The amount of like gold reserves that that country has now Oh, it's off the charts. It's off the charts. Like kick out. Well, I mean, not fully, but uh, the central banking system Uh, uh, independent from that now. Like they don't they don't rely on the central bank there. Even if they did, which they haven't yet. Don't worry. We're not going to touch that because the United States has made a lot of good faith efforts. I'm (laughs) I'm continuing now. Mm. Provocation, without justification, without necessity. This is a premeditated attack. Vladimir Putin has been planning this for months, as we've been saying all along. Hey, I just said that. He moved more than 175,000 troops, military equipment, and positions along the Ukrainian border. Good thing he told China. He moved blood supplies into position and built a field hospital, (laughs) which uh, tells you all you need to know about his intentions all along. He rejected every good faith effort the United States and our allies and partners made to address our mutual security concerns through dialogue to avoid needless conflict and avert human suffering. For weeks, for weeks, 
We have been warning for how long that this would happen. Four weeks. And now it's unfolding largely as we predicted. In the past week, we've seen shelling increase in the Donbass, a region in eastern Ukraine controlled by Russian-backed separatists. Rush, the Russian government has perpetrated cyber attacks against Ukraine. We saw a staged political theater in Moscow, outlandish and baseless claims that Ukraine was, a, Ukraine was about to invade and launch a war against Russia, that Ukraine was prepared to use chemical weapons, that Ukraine committed a genocide. Who? Without any evidence, we saw a flagrant violation of international law in attempting to unilaterally create two new so-called republics on sovereign Ukrainian territory. Huh. So they basically wrote like, a stump speech. Yeah. I mean, that's all it is. It's, it sounds like he's on the campaign trail. It doesn't sound like he's addressing the in real time international incident that's literally costing lives right now. Yeah, it's just a bunch of shit yeah. talk. So now that we've heard it, what do you guys think? Foreign policy expert Noah? I just, I'm speechless on how fucking pointless it was. Yeah, it's... Uh, did you see how he came out? Like, he slammed, like, two Red Bulls and... Yeah. Pop like three Adderall. He was, was like say, rushing to <laughs> It's got to be just murder on his uh, his system. Just whatever yeah. they're pumping him full of. Because we've seen him. Because at... you see him peak. He comes out like, oh. And then real. By the, by the end, he's, he's slurring words. And, you know, people yeah. are asking him questions, which we're going to get to. And that's the best part about a Joe Biden presser. If he actually fields questions, it's the ones that. Because the entire media has had it with his bullshit. Yeah. And this oh, whole yeah. administration. Now it's gotten to like, okay, Afghanistan wasn't technically a war. It was the worst way to end one. Now we're, we're in the middle of this fucking horse shit and we're not doing anything. So what came out of those sanctions was they sanctioned a whole bunch of Russian oligarchs and lobbyists and people that have proxy connections. Oh, right. we got their family too. Like uh, really? Nobody that's guys. connected to anything important got sanctioned. In addition to that, no direct sanctions against Putin. The UK came out today and said they might decide to examine the possibilities of that. But at the end of the day, what does that really do? And man, they're not uh, doing shit. You think, it's all bullshit. Yeah, if you think Putin ever looks in his bank app to see how much money in his checking account and if anybody's <laughs> sanctioning it, you need your fucking hand examined. <laughs> And it is just the big think he gets like overdraft fees <laughs> only in human lives. Oh, there you go. Dang, have, have some more gruel with that one. Oof. In addition yeah. to, to the two biggest things, the Nord Stream pipeline, not sanctioned, probably would hit him in the wallet the most. But in addition to that, it's the way that they use their international currency, the SWIFT system uh, yeah. of, of international banking and, and currency and business transactions. Again, both of those things are off the table as of right now. So yeah, that's, I, mean, that's just, I don't I don't see how like that would benefit and hurt Putin will benefit them and hurt Putin in any way. Honestly, no. I mean, there's so many ways around it. It's just ridiculous at this point. Right. Like it's, if they were really going to do something or really meant what, you know, to sanction Putin, they would have done it like, legitimately. And you know why they're scared? Because they know Putin could shut so much shit down in the United States with cyber attacks. Well, that too. But and he knows a lot of their they're dirt. Yeah. He knows everything about them. Like, think about it. Uranium One and the Clinton Foundation and all the, you know, deepest, darkest secrets and skeletons they don't want coming out. Putin knows about all this, you know, so. If these sanctions were a meme, the first slide would be Joe Biden announcing them and the second slide would be Putin sitting next to the two guys laughing from Goodfellas. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. just like we're not doing anything that he's really going to care about and that's by 
plan. He's like, can't hear you guys over here. I'm doing the whole war thing. Yeah. Can't, can't hear you over there. A lot of explosions. The artillery shelling. Yeah. Well, we got to Q&A. We had a little bit of Adderall left. Maybe a couple of sips of Red Bull still in the system. <laughs> um, let's see a couple of the best questions. And are you, are you, if I could follow up, sir, are you urging China to help isolate Russia? Are you urging China to help isolate Russia? I'm not prepared to comment on that at the moment. <laughs> well, it's better than no. <laughs> yes. <Fucking> president. <laughs> That's our president. But I, I think even what's a bigger question than is, is Joe Biden going to figure out a way, any way to have China pull the leash a little bit on Putin? It's if, and he has to admit it at some point, did he... Listen, we listened to that campaign speech from 2019 where he said, listen here, Jack, Putin doesn't want me to be president because he knows I'm going to stand toe-to-toe with him. Well, they circled back to that one in the form of this comment question right here. Did you underestimate Putin, and would you still describe him the way that you did in the summer as a worthy adversary? At the time, he was, I made it clear, as an adversary, and I said he was worthy. I didn't underestimate him. And I've read most of everything he's written. Did you read? The, I shouldn't. I'm not a wise guy. You stupid son of a the, bitch. You, you heard the speech he made. Almost an hour's worth of speeches. Why he was going into Ukraine. He has much larger ambitions in Ukraine. He wants to, in fact, reestablish the former Soviet Union. That's what this is about. And I think that his uh, his ambitions uh, are are completely contrary. To the place where the rest of the world has arrived. What? What does that mean? <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> so you're saying there's I'd a love chance. love to see the press's face, like the people there while he's speaking. And he, and he wanted to go after Peter Ducey, but you see him stop himself. He's like, you know what? I'm not actually going to ask you if you read it. It's not, it's not your job. It's mine. What did he say? What did he say? Uh, wise guy? No, he didn't say I'll that. i will be a wise guy. Yeah. Well, that, that's what he called um, the guy from MSNBC. But I, Peter Ducey's the one he called a stupid son of a bitch. Yeah. So. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. It was him. I think the most important question, and it's the one that's on everybody's mind, because at some point, depending on how far Putin wants to go, are we going to have to get involved with this militarily? Not us, maybe NATO or other countries. Is anybody going to help Ukraine? Or is anybody going to try and stop him, especially if he continues to, uh, you know, move it on after Ukraine? Because here's the thing. They're not the only person lobbying for NATO. For years, Sweden and Finland, who are way more established and not countries that are coming outside of the Soviet Iron Curtain, have been wanting to get in there. Yeah. And their chance at candidacy and then inclusion into NATO is a lot more likely. Putin said that shit ain't happening today either. Mm-hmm. He goes, the rest of, the, of Europe will face severe consequences unlike ever, ever seen before. Like he said last week, said it today, if they start adding countries like Sweden and Finland to NATO. He said he's just yeah. not going to put up with it. So I, I think the big question that's on everybody's mind, maybe even underlyingly, is are we all going to die in a nuclear holocaust? Let's hear Joe Biden's answer. <laughs> to take. Um, uh, Cecilia Vega, ABC. Oh, he's reading Sir, that name. sanctions clearly have not been enough to deter Vladimir Putin to this point. What oh, is going to stop ABC. him? How and when does this end? And do you see him trying to go beyond Ukraine? And a second question I'll just give to you now. This statement that he gave last night, will, that the, the threat that he gave, the West will face consequences greater than any you have faced in history. Is he threatening a nuclear strike? 
I have no idea what he's threatening. <laughs> I know what he has done, number one. And number two, oh. no one expected the sanctions to prevent anything from happening. Oh, that's good. It really? It's going to take time. What's the point, then? And we have to show resolve so he knows what's coming. And so the people of Russia know the what he's sanctions? brought on them. That's what this is all about. This is going to take time. It's not going to occur. He's going to say, oh, my God, these sanctions are coming. I'm going to stand down. He's going to test the resolve of the West to see if we stay together. And we will. We will. And it will impose significant costs on him. If your sanctions aren't enough to get the desired effect, they're not the right sanctions. Well, I mean, that's what sanctions are for, right? So, yeah, because I seem to recall during the last presidency, we sanctioned the piss out of some people. And lo and behold, effective. Yeah. You know, we haven't talked about it yet, but how important, literally, I know it's become like a viral meme, was the handshake the first time that they met face to face. Yeah. And Trump gave him the shake of his life. No one ever touches that fucking guy. Yeah. No, and, and then and, it, and then pulled him in, pulled yeah, him in real you, you close. Pulled him off his off the floor. But you know what? Putin respected that regardless of yeah. like how it looked, you know. It seemed like, like that yeah. that was the start of their bromance. Yeah, he yeah, was like, Oh, 100%. your Schwartz is as large as mine. Yep. Yeah. It's like you know the the same thing with uh, Kim Jong Un. You know right. we joke about it. He's a disgusting dictator who does awful things to his people. But it's like when they're together, it's like that universe doesn't exist. Yeah, and it's just like he called him low, fat to his low face. punches just over. <laughs> Look well, at I this. think that people don't really understand and realize like when they meet even the like these powerful world leaders, whether they're good or bad, everybody even the ones that hate him, when they see Trump in person, they're impressed. Like, they're like, okay, I've seen this guy on TV. I don't like him. But when they, they're like, oh, shit, he's got this, like, yeah. he, he this shook energy it. and this air about him. Like, he's, you know, he's not full of shit, and he's not a P-U-S-S-Y, that's for no, sure. No, he's definitely not. He, he shook the shit out of Putin. He told Kim Jong-un that they were all looking extremely handsome and thin <laughs> before they sat down for lunch. <laughs> And then, you know, he, 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 when he slaps a, a Ben Salman, like, you yes. know, like from behind and he gets all giddy. I'm like, this is hilarious. You know, he, it's- he goes up and speaks after Angela Merkel at a, at a, you know, anything G7, G20, NATO conference. And then as soon as she's done bullshitting everybody, he gets up there. He's like, Angela, that's not true. Angela, <laughs> my dear. He's like, you say a lot of true things, but that's false. <laughs> so, I love it. Yeah. And it, 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 listen, whether you liked him or hated him, he demanded and commanded and got respect from the international community. They wouldn't. Oh, yeah. They wouldn't do it the way they're, you know, overtly doing it now. Yeah, we'd be in a different uh, boat right now if it was uh, still him. Mm. Well, Marsha Blackburn jumped on with Maria this morning to weigh in on some of this bullshit that came out of yesterday's press conference. In addition to the stuff that's going on in Ukraine with Russia, let's hear her talk about sanctions that might actually do something. Of course, this shows you what a thug Vladimir Putin is. And he feels like he has had a runway from the Biden administration. Biden gave him everything he asked for. He gave him a five-year uh, renewal on New Start with no conditions. Trump had said he would give him one year with conditions. He gave him Nord Stream 2. So he feels like Biden is weak. This is what you get when someone displays weakness. My hope is that today Biden is going to step up and be be very firm in their sanctions. I do understand, Maria, that NATO will have an emergency meeting tomorrow. We do understand the G7 will uh, meet um, 
with the president virtually, of course, all of these. Uh, they, they will do that today. We do understand that other countries are moving forward quickly with placing sanctions, the EU, the UK, Japan. I think one thing that is going to be interesting to watch in this is how China supports Russia. Yep. You have Russia, China, Iran, North Korea. That is your new axis of evil. And to see how China will try to soften the sanctions on uh, Russia and on Putin. You know, Antoinette, we, we talked about it a couple of times. I heard she's on a VP short list. And I know you really aren't particular with her. You know, I think she's okay as a senator. Uh, I'm not really too thrilled if she would be considered. No. Here's the thing. Go look up recent interviews with Marsha Blackburn. She's had an enormous amount of work done in like the last half year. You know, that's a really big tell. It's yes. just like like with Kamala, for example, when she got that Botox yep. and like snatched her face a bit. Right when that happened, I was like, all right, she's she's in for VP for sure. She doesn't look like I remember her at all. She has her whole neck pulled back. And I was just watching her now. You know, she's an older lady. She, she's like a pretty older lady. She's very like homely, momly looking. But yeah. now she looks just like it's almost uncomfortable to blink yeah, so or obvious. swallow. So. It's well, odd that they would pick her. I mean, that's the best that they got, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Well, instead of giving you guys verbally the stats of how long just these sanctions or lack thereof are going to take um, to, to take effect if they do anything, thankfully for us, Peter Ducey from Fox News asked Jen Psaki that today, almost in real time. So let's hear her mm, response. Nice. Okay. There's a report in the New York Times that you guys kept asking China to help you stop Russia from invading China. Ukraine. And they didn't. So what have you guys done throughout this slow-moving Russia crisis that has worked? In what capacity? How well, dare you? The, the capacity of things working? He talked to the G7. He threatened sanctions. He put sanctions in place. Now he says the sanctions are going to take 30 days Oof. Uh, or about a month. Do you guys think the people in Ukraine have about a month? Well, Peter, let me just take a step back and explain to everyone how diplomacy works and how our approach from the United States has worked. Fuck you uh, very much. What the president has done is he has built a global coalition uh, to stand know. up in the face of President Putin and President Putin's aggression and uh, invasion of Ukraine. Mm. Uh, what he has done is he has rallied uh, the world, our U European partners, even uh. at cost to them in some capacities, to put in place uh, significant sanctions, historic sanctions that would have a, uh, a, a, a enormous impact <laughs> on the Russian financial sector. It is President Putin's choice to go to war and invade Ukraine. That is what he has done. It is our choice and our responsibility and the role of the president in the United States to rally opposition and make sure they feel significant pain from that choice. That's mm -hmm. So, but we're going to wait 30 days before the pain yeah. starts, right? How dare you even ask that? So that's kind of where we're at with the whole ever-developing Russia-Ukraine situation. Well, and uh, what do you think, yep. Antoinette? Well, just in NATO uh, countries are going to provide weapons, air defense systems to Ukraine. Yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting. I, I mean, when the centralized government is trapped in Kiev and probably a lot of the bulk of their 200,000, you know, enlisted military, in addition to, I guess, everybody between the ages of 16 and 60 now is not allowed to leave the country if you're a male. And you no. have to fight 16 to 60. And, and from Ukraine? Yeah, that was announced yesterday. They can't go to Poland or any of the other countries that are currently accepting refugees. So, And they're getting turned back at the borders if they arrive by bus, car, or train. So they're not allowed to fly to Cabo? <laughs> 
not yet. <laughs> I mean, but the, here's the thing, like, do like, did Russia really invade? I don't think so. Not the way that they're portraying it to be like, you know, I, I just, there's so much more going on, you know, um, honestly, we can only wait and see. I, I really believe 30 days, huh? <laughs> 30 days, which is hilarious. <laughs> it's a magic but, number. I mean, I don't see this going on for that long, to be honest. I hope not. Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, Putin said this is a special military operation. <clears throat> Didn't he say that? Yeah. And we've yet to see, you know, we've seen some convoys and we've seen some planes and helicopters and stuff like that. But I mean, we haven't seen a, a standardized like history channel level war in a no, long time I mean, in, the, in, in this world, you know, since probably uh, Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait. That's the last time we pretty much saw like I'm going to drive all my my tanks and stuff across your border and, and occupy your country. That's probably the right. last time we saw it. Um, we're not seeing anything like that. Uh, we're like, we, like you said, more special operations, precision strikes, but then, right. you know, if it's paper tiger, as far as the Ukraine military goes, which I don't know and can't vouch for, do you really need anything other than like your specialist of forces and like those, 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 uh, you know, basically kill squads from Chechnya that are coming down now to go in through, uh, the Chernobyl area. Well, that too. And I, you know, I forgot to mention earlier, I'm not sure if you were going to talk about this later on, but um, these targeted strikes and wherever Russia is aiming at, for example, a lot of them have, um, aren't they biolabs? Yeah. Which I thought was very interesting. I haven't really looked into it, but I know that there was a thread on Twitter by War Clandestine clandestine, and uh, it was suspended after they posted that thread. So it kind of went viral. Yeah, I saw that as well. I'd like a little bit more disposition before I kind of like weighed in on it, but it would make sense. Uh, yeah. we, we do know that, the, you know, the United States likes to set up their blackest of ops in the shittiest of countries. So it would make sense exactly. for us to have some of them there. And as all this stuff continues to develop, I'm, we're seeing right now it's coming across the phone and the wire uh, being reported by Al Jazeera. The amended U.S. draft resolution sanctioning Russia. Now the language in it says it expresses regret for the Russian attack, not even an invasion on Ukraine instead of condemning it. So that's just kind of the narrative we tried to paint for you guys today. But I guess we'll just have to wait and see. You know, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna bring this all back on, on our Tuesday edition of the show, and, and we're going to take everything in over the weekend and kind of discern the best we can to report it. But that's kind of the picture we painted on Russia-Ukraine for you today. And as we're getting ready to sit down with our next guest, um, you may have seen him. He's been doing the cycle lately. He did Jesse Kelly. Tim Poole, and Jenna Ellis all in the last 24 hours. And he's going to be joining us today for the fifth time, Mr. Ian Smith. And as his audio is loading up. All right, joining us today on Steak for Breakfast, he's coming back for, uh, I believe, a fourth time. Nice. He's the co-owner yeah. of the Attila's Gym in Belmont, New Jersey. He's also recently announced candidate running for a house seat in New Jersey 3. Mr. Ian Smith, thanks for joining us today. Hey, guys. How are you doing today? Well, we're doing great now that you're here. What's going on with you? Busy. Busy. We're uh, we're busy launching a, uh, a massive grassroots campaign against both the uh, Republican and Democrat establishments here in the uh, in the state of New Jersey. So we're we're keeping busy, but we're having some fun already, and we're gonna we're have some fun all the way through it. Yeah, I, I definitely like the sound of that, especially since that's uh, you know right in the area where I was born and raised. I wanted to ask you a question. Now, the first time you came on with us was about it was like a year and a half ago, and. Uh, it, you gave us a really good interview and, and throughout the course of the interview, I was thinking in my head, all the things that you were saying kind of formulated into like your 
observation of the way the political landscape looks. I asked you at the end of that first interview, I went back and listened to it today, do you see yourself having a future in politics? And you didn't say no, but you just said at the time there was a lot of unfinished business. Obviously, you were going through the whole you know, stuff with the gym and all that other stuff that was going on from Governor Murphy. And uh, what changed between now and when you recently announced uh, here a few weeks ago that uh, really compelled you to get in this race and uh, make it official? Well, you know, I actually, I remember you asking me that too. Um, you know, and the only thing that has really changed between then and now is um, I had to stop bullshitting myself. And I've been telling people now for two years that they need to get involved in their communities and that they need to go and run for their school boards. And that the only way out of this hellish situation we find ourselves in is the same way that we got into it. And that's step by step, inch by inch. You know, this didn't happen overnight. And I don't subscribe to the fantasy that somebody's going to come along and save us, whether it's a president or otherwise. Um, this, is, this is a people-powered movement. And if we're going to make this country great again um, and make it a free place again, then it's going to require that everybody get involved in any aspect that they can. And I've been, I've been traveling around the country giving dozens and dozens of speeches in front of tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people at this point. And I keep telling people that, and I need to shut up and put my money where my mouth is because we have a major cultural issue. And the cultural issue is that the ordinary citizen is not getting involved in the politics. Um, two, twofold problem there. One is that it's very hard when you're not an establishment pick, you know, people, right. people go to the, the voting box uh, or the, or the voting ballots and, 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 their candidates are essentially picked for them at that point because they, they didn't pay attention during the primaries or even if they did, the candidate that they supported didn't have enough firepower, didn't have enough star power, didn't have enough name recognition, didn't have uh, funding from the GOP or the DNC um, to, to get onto the ballot in the general election. And that's a major issue um, because we're left with the, I don't know if you guys are fans of South Park, but I always have been and always will be. And yes, you know, goes to the episode of, of the choice between the school mascots where the, the kids are, are forced to pick with a douchebag and a turd sandwich. <laughs> um, that is, I think that is an extremely good observation as to what, what we're left with, with American policies or excuse me, politics. So part of the problem is that it's hard to get in. Um, and the other part of the problem is that nobody wants to do the job because most people are good, honest people. And they look at politics as a cesspool yeah. and they look at politics as a place where people go who are cutthroat and who want to make it a career and who want to make insane amounts of money and they have to sell their soul to do it and so on. And we need to change that culturally. Um, and I, I am in a unique position where as an ordinary person, as, a, as a, just a, a dumb gym owner here in New Jersey, I have the unusual circumstance where I can launch a massive federal level campaign um, against not only the GOP uh, and their pick, but you know, a uh, an incumbent who's got a war chest of almost four million dollars and mm -hmm. who's basically Nancy Pelosi's little pet dog. Yep. Um, so I need to lead the way on that. Not everybody can do that, um, you know, at that level, but everybody can run for their school board. Everybody can run to be on their town council. Um, so if I go around the country and tell people that I have to do this or that they have to do this, I have to at least take a shot at it because the major issue that we have is that people aren't being 
um, people aren't being served in politics. Uh, greedy, nasty, selfish people are in politics and we'll, we're never going to have a solution um, to this problem and, until we start putting people back in politics. So long answer, I have to do this. Um, and I finally, I finally came to the realization that um, whether I want to do it or not is completely relevant and that I, I have a duty to not only my community here in New Jersey, but I think the country as a whole um, to, to use the platform that I've built and the notoriety that I've built to, to push back against these people and show that it can be done. Yeah. A, those are some really good points you make there. And, uh, like you said, over the course of the last, you know, two years now, you've been out there really promoting and advocating for people to get motivated and get involved in their community and, you know, all the things we all go on social media for and complain about. There is a real world solution for that. And that's physically getting involved. And uh, you've taken it to the top level in regards to, uh, you know, you comparing yourself to some other people who are also in the grassroots movement, but what separates you too, you know, whether, whether you want to be humble about it or not, you are a pretty iconic figure uh, in regards to the movement and, and are, you know, a familiar face to a lot of people probably, well, especially in New Jersey. And I think it makes for a really good recipe to be able to take on those bigs uh, because you bring a lot of the things to the table they don't have. Number one is like a human aspect and likability. And then number two, it's like a realism yeah. to not only be able to identify the issues, but be able to call them out on the ones that they're not doing to serve the people of New Jersey. How's the campaign roll rollout been so far since you announced? Um, you know, we, we got as much um, hatred as we thought we were going to get. You know, we, we, <laughs> nice. we've got so used to that, that it's not even really, um, that's not really a thing. Actually, it's more of a source of humor than anything. Um, but the reception from uh, from the people, not only around the state of New Jersey, but around the country has been overwhelmingly good. Um, and, and, you know, we, we knew we knew that it would be pretty well received. You know, we, we have a couple critics um, within the GOP and, and we 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 knew that, you know, um, when we announced, uh, I guess it was two Thursdays ago now. When we announced immediately uh, Andy Kim, who is the incumbent Democrat, as well as. Um, the GOP uh, favorite here in New Jersey named Bob Healy, yep. both issued a press statement uh, like immediately. And they they ran right to what they we thought they were going to do. He's unfit for office. He's a loose cannon. Uh, and he got in a motor vehicle accident 15 years ago. And, and, you know, he's a murderer. And this it's funny because neither one of them got the details of the accident. Right. Which just shows how disingenuous uh, they are. So. We're, we're ruffling feathers on both sides. And that's really what we wanted to do. We want to get in there and we want to change the culture. We want to make these people as uncomfortable as we've been over these past two, five, 10 years, as we've slowly, you know, sort of lost uh, sight of the American dream because it's being sort of just sold out from under our feet. So the people who matter um, have given us an overwhelming amount of support already. Uh, we're, we're going to be utilizing the manpower that we have and, um, you know, what I'm not concerned about raising, you know, $4 million to fight Andy Kim. We could probably do it with 25% of that um, because we have the enthusiasm and we have the people who are honestly on both sides. Now, um, you're, you're getting a huge number of people who were, you know, on the fence, independent voters, or even, you know, your moderate, moderate uh, Democrats who may have voted for Joe Biden and who are now feeling the ramifications of these America last policies yeah. where um, where life is more expensive on a daily basis. Yeah, I feel like um, people could use a couple of loose cannons right now. 
Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And and I think people, even though they didn't want to admit that before, I think people are, are ready and willing to admit that. And they're also willing to put in the work to make sure that happens. Um, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to utilize the manpower and we're going to, we're, we're really just going to hit the streets. You know, we're going to, we're going to go and we're going to knock on doors and we're going to talk to people and we're going to host town halls and we're going to get involved and we're going to make politics what it should be, not just smear campaigns on, on television and, and 30 second ad spots, you know, using clips out of context. You know, mm-hmm. we're going to, we're going to bring political discourse back. And I think people are really excited about that. Yeah, I think they are too. Uh, you mentioned the uh, moderate Democrats in New Jersey and, you know, even a lot of independents, they probably feel really, really uh, relieved that, that at least they have an alternative option here that's coming in that puts a, a, a human face on on something that's been so polarized, like, you know, all those things. You, you, you talked about uh, Andy Kim and can't get much more radical progressive than that. And then I'm kind of glad you jumped in the race late because you avoid some of the things that some of the other big grassroots inspired America first candidates like the Mike Collinses in Georgia and the Robbie Starbucks in Tennessee had to go through to where they really picked up steam, not only campaign wise, but in the polls. And then they get establishment plants put into their races, which is, uh, you know, something else they have to go against. You're, you're, uh, primary challenger is already out there and we already know what the, you know, Rhino through and through. And then the Democrat incumbent is just like we said, uh, one of Nancy Pelosi's little, you know, normie bots there. So it, it's good that you, you, you come in and you kind of clear out the field and, and uh, give them something that puts a human face on, on, on politics, which is uh, something that's lacking right now. And for, you know, athletic wear, I mean, Ted Cruz did it. Yeah. He does wear those nut hugger shorts when he goes to vote on the house or the Senate floor. Sometimes <laughs> you can't beat that. Right. You know, I want to circle back real quick. You, you mentioned South park in your opening statement. I, I, oh, scissor me timbers. You know, that's been our bread and butter for over two years now. <laughs> so I wanted to talk about some of the issues that affect New, New Jersey uh, before we jump into a quick few nationally that uh, are going to be parts of your campaign pa- platform jobs, probably schools, uh, the overall economy with the inflation and stuff like that are all things that, that New Jersey people are, are really, really focused on. You know, they had to go through Chris Christie and all of his huge scandals that rose taxes and screwed over the people of New Jersey. And then they, you know, rolled that right into governor Murphy and you know, better than anybody, how awesome he was. So what are the things right now, uh, district districtly that you want to focus on and uh, make sure that your campaign is going to be, you know, representing when you go to the house in DC? Well, you know, I, I think most of the issues for New Jerseyans are going to be the same issues that we're seeing at the federal level, mm-hmm. t- sort of across the country, uh, maybe with an amplification on mandate, uh, rule by mandate governing, because New Jersey was one of the states where, you know, we had, uh, you know, King Philip, I like to call him, um, <laughs> just just going so far above and beyond what even the craziest of Democrats would do. Um, you know, so we, we got that amplified version of, of the mandate lockdowns and the this and the that and the crazy. And, you know, that's that's high on the New Jersey's list. We don't we don't want to see that ever again. Um, you know, so that is that is something that is really important to take to Congress is that that idea of rule by executive order and rule by mandate needs to be radically um, curtailed. You know, I, I do I do see the, the 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 necessity in it where you do where you could potentially have the need for it. However, um, 
to run them back to back to back to back to back to back in the fashion that Governor Phil Murphy and all these other governors had, where they've circumvented the entire process of if they need those powers for longer, it has to go to the legislature. You know, they just end the executive order and start another one the next day. So we need to we need to reform that process on a national level to make sure that that the states aren't accumulating, to, you know, there, there's this there's this balance between federal and state power. And, and as a federal elected uh, official, there's only so much I can do to impact the state of New Jersey itself. Um, but there needs to be a balance because we can't allow out of control governors to just screw their their, their citizens over. And I right. think that in New Jersey, as well as New York, California, all these other places are very, very sensitive to that. So. We'll be talking about that and how to rein that in. Um, but the bigger issues are the ones that are affecting all of us. And I think the economy is number one for most people right now. Uh, the direction that our dollar is going in is something that scares every single American. You know, unless unless you have millions of them. And even though even, I know people who, who do have millions of them who are still concerned with the value of the dollar and how our economy seems to be stalling for no reason other than it's being strangled by its own government. Yep, yep. You know, we don't, we don't have a reason to have a stalling economy yet. We have one. It's because we have vaccine mandates and we have this and we have that and we have all these stupid things that are forcing people to not want to work or to not be able to work because they're having to choose for their medical freedom over, um, over a paycheck. And, and thankfully, you know, people have the stones to do that. So that's a big issue. Um, the economy is, is at the center of that, but really, I think that the simplest way to to bundle it all up into a neat answer is that I want to bring America first policy um, as a national platform. And, and when I say America first policy, uh, I look at America first, the idea of, of America first as a lens in which to look through any policy from. Right. So our energy, our energy production is crap. Why? Because we have America last policies because Joe Biden came in and he canceled numerous projects that made us energy independent. And we don't none of these none of these issues or none of these ideas operate in a vacuum. There's always some spillover. So when we become energy dependent outside of the country, that all these new issues rise. Not only does the cost go up, but there's complexities where now we have to care about foreign policy in other places where typically we don't have to. If we don't have to worry about where our oil comes from, fuck the Middle East. Right. We don't care. You know what I mean? But And I mean that generally. Obviously, you'll hear people say, well, what about Israel? And I, I mean that in a general sense. Right. Um, you know, so we need to start having people in office who just want to put American citizens first. You know, we watch with these with these stimulus bills get put onto the floor of, of trillions of dollars. And how much money of that went into American infrastructure? How much went into education? How much went into tax tax breaks for American citizens? It went overseas. It was teaching gender studies in Pakistan and all these other crazy things. It's like all of that has to come to a screeching halt. Um, and we need to have people in here who are going to say this bill or this, you know, this, this legislative piece, this doesn't do anything for the American people. It leaves them last, you know, and, and that's, that's been happening slowly for a long time, and it has been ratcheted up in the past just couple of years. You know, we're just seeing these bills ran through where billions of our dollars are going arbitrarily to these things where I don't think any American citizen um, with their head on their shoulders thinks these things are a priority. 
gender studies in Pakistan are not a priority to anybody on this planet. Yeah, we better uh, off sending know, them parachutes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, so that's that's the big thing is America first. Um, and that means our education. That means our economy. That means our infrastructure. That means manufacturing. That means all of those things have to be looked at through the lens of, first and foremost, what does it cost the taxpayer? How beneficial is it? And what are the downfalls of it? Because we just get we, we get told these lies um, about how great we're doing and how we're helping people overseas and we're doing this, we're doing that. But we have a, a homeless problem that yeah. is just out of control. Uh, you see it everywhere. You know, where the gym in Belmar is right next to uh, Camden, which is one of the, the poorest cities in the country. Yep. Uh, and, and across the river, you have Philadelphia and you, you see these places and the, and the standard of living is just coming crashing down. We have a drug e- epidemic because we have an open border that's just allowing fentanyl to be poured in. And, and all of these issues are interconnected. I could I could ramble on about them forever, you know, but they all one leads to the next, at least the next, at least the next. And the solution is American first policy. Yeah, it definitely is. And, and, and I like the way you kind of frame that because it was the next one I was going to ask you. You don't have to ramble because we'll lead you down that path. Southern border has been out of control. Uh, there's a lot of your uh, counterparts in, in this America First movement who are running right now, especially in the House, who are saying that day one of uh, after the 2022 midterms, the first piece of anything that they're going to be proposing on the House floor is articles of impeachment for Joe Biden. We can go down a list. You just read off a pretty lengthy one of things that have negatively affected this country, whether it be from printing, you know, ridiculous amounts of money that go nowhere except back into the pockets of the people in D.C. all the way down to, you know, inflation in the economy. We could even talk national defense. But do you think the border and, and all the stuff that's gone on there, the, the millions of people who have been let in? And, uh, you know, I, I just learned over the weekend that the Department of Homeland Security has pretty much dropped all of their restrictions on worker visas, visitor visas, all that stuff, which kind of prevents people who come over here on a limited basis. It, it, it essentially says if you come over here to be like a tech guy for, for, you know, a computer company, you now pretty much have a pathway to citizenship, essentially. And, and all of the things that have been in place uh, for decades were, were dropped on Friday to, uh, to allow this to continue in an even worse fashion. If they're not going to be coming across the border, they're going to be coming across in planes from places like India and stuff like that and just making more of a mess of our, of our political system and, and the blue-collar workforce. You think the border is an impeachable offense? Yeah, I think I think there's a long list of things that are impeachable offenses. I'm not quite sold on the idea of impeachment yet, and the only reason to that is Kamala Harris mm-hmm. and Nancy Pelosi because I don't want to put either of them closer to the White House. Um, so I don't. I, I would certainly love to get Joe Biden out of office. Don't get me wrong. What I would rather do is stranglehold. Um, their ability to do any more damage um, and and push back against that with new legislation and, and override their power. And the way that we can do that is by taking back both the Senate and the House, not just with a small um, a small majority, but but overwhelmingly coming into these places um, and just just putting a screeching halt to, to the to the madness. Um, I would certainly be open to explore impeachment. However, like I said, I'm, I'm just, I'm very wary of that idea of putting Kamala Harris, who I believe is a full fledged lunatic. Yeah. Um, and completely, completely, um, useless, just unable to, stop. I, I don't, I don't, I don't think that job is, is something that she could even begin to unpack. 
Um, Joe Biden does a bad enough job at it. And I think that she would be catastrophically worse. Um, however, I think that there is a tremendous list of things that are impeachable offenses and, and the border would probably be the top thing yep. along with the importation of unvetted Afghanis. Yeah, we've seen a lot of that, especially over there on the East Coast, New York, uh, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania getting hit pretty hard with those, you know, middle-of-the-night flights. We we had uh, Jim Bognett on not too long ago, and, yep. and he actually went out to, you know, the Job Corps facility that's going to be holding, I think, uh, 500 unvetted refugees. They've got no security. There's no fencing around the perimeter of the campus or anything like that, and they, it's it's a stone's throw away from a, from a small, cozy town in rural Pennsylvania of about 9,000 people. So definitely very scary yep. to hear stuff like that. You know, I want you to uh, let our listening audience know right now, you know, we've been supporting you for so long and directing people either towards the gym or, you know, towards anything we could do to help you. Now that you've changed gears a little bit and you're in, in campaign mode, what, what can you let our listening audience know that you need to help make a, you know, a more successful campaign than you're running right now? You know, the same, same thing that we needed at Attila's. Um, you know, first and foremost is the awareness and uh and the visibility you know we we obviously we, we get a little bit of love in the mainstream media um but you know the the thing that really made attilus um so powerful was that it was a people powered movement um it was the the small podcasts and the social media accounts ranging from instagram and facebook and twitter who were just sharing everything that we put out to grow us from just this small, tiny gym uh, to a uh, to a, a national power um, in terms of being able to take on the entire state of New Jersey and all of its legal resources. Um, so awareness is one. You know, just just follow along. You can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, all that. It's all the same handle. Uh, Ian Smith Fitness. I will, I guess, forever be Ian Smith Fitness, even when I'm elected to Congress. Um, and then from there, you know, uh, our website's pretty simple. We just have uh, we have a uh, just a landing page set up. We're going to have a full um, a full website built out later this week. Um, you can go there and you can donate. Obviously, we're going to need some funds to take these people on, even though we're going to be uh, launching a grassroots campaign. We're not going to be taking any big money. It's all going to come from individuals, donors. We've done really well so far. Our first week, I think we raised like 55,000. Nice. Wow. And that's just from individual contributions. That's not any big money. That's not no, uh, phone calls to big donors. Um, although we will, we will be, you know, doing some fundraising outside of that. It's all going to be people powered. So you can find all, all that information at Ian Smith That's all that we spelled out. Um, no four for the letter four, just Ian Smith for Congress. You know, we've been teasing you coming on here for about three weeks now, and uh, we did have a couple of reschedulings, but, you know, bad on my part for once. Uh, but, uh, you know, people have messaged me on, on the socials, and they've been asking. Um, it's probably one of the most important campaign questions, I think, out there right now. Are you going to be able to uh, – now, we've seen you do it and do it well at the New York Young Republicans Club. Are you going to be able to rock those suits every day up on Capitol Hill? I guess I'm going to have to. Um, one, one thing I won't be doing is abiding to any mask mandates or anything like that. But I guess I'll uh, – the, 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 one, the one bonus is when I wear a suit, I don't have to wear a tie because you can't tell with my beard. I knew it. So. Yep, told you. <laughs> we, we asked Vish, and can, we asked Vish I can, Burra. I can collar popped open so I, I can be like kind of comfortable, like the top two buttons open because nobody can tell. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I guess I'm going to have to uh, – I guess I'm going to have to throw the suit on. I, I think that's actually part of the, the dress code. So – 
Yeah, we had Vish Burr on uh, not too long ago, and we asked him about that because he take, he had taken some pictures with you. And I said, "Was he wearing a tie underneath that that massive beard that he's got?" And he's like, "You want to know what, bro? I don't. I have no idea." He's like, "I, I wouldn't be able to tell." We suggested getting a, a tuxedo for your beard. Just as well. get just get a very small tie for the end of your beard. <laughs> just clip it right on the bottom. Yeah, right? yeah. I like that. <laughs> Ian, this, this has been awesome having you back. It's always great getting to you know spend some time with you and hear everything that's going on. We're we're extremely enthused for the fact now that we can talk about you running for office, which I think in this this moment in time is probably where you need to be. Um, I'm still waiting for the San Diego satellite, Jim. Just saying. Oh, there you go. Maybe in retirement. Yeah. So just in yeah. case he wasn't done paying high taxes in New Jersey, he can right. pay high ones here. <laughs> Um, you know what? And down the road, we're, we're going to, of course, ask that you come back and join us. Absolutely. Anytime. I'm, I'm more than happy to come in and give you some updates as the uh, as the primary draws closer. There's there's going to be tons of news and tons of things to talk about as we kind of dive into these issues. So more than happy to come on. And then uh, then when it's time to kick Andy Kim's ass, I'll definitely be on for that, too. Yeah, you sure are. Nice. This is the man who's uh, the co-owner of the Attilus Gym and more importantly now looking to represent New Jersey 3 in the House next year. Mr. Ian Smith, thanks for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. Thank you so much, guys. It's always great having Ian back on the show. Yeah, I love having him on. And we're going to continue to wish him well as he's uh, just getting into the campaign season. It was it was amazing to hear how much individual donors have contributed to his campaign already over, I think he said, $60,000 in a week, and that's before he even really got out there and started hitting the, the trail hard. So we're going to continue to track him and uh, track his successes as he's moving through the campaign season. Moving forward now, last segment of the day for the news. Um, CPAC kicked off yesterday. Um, I haven't had too many of the heavy hitters yet, although the unofficial starter of CPAC, the honor went to Big Dick Ron DeSantis. He gave a pretty amazing speech. I've pulled some clips, and uh, we're going to hear some of those excerpts right now. Let's jump in. Uh, he's talking about how the state of Florida, led by him, has essentially defeated Fauciism. Nice. Did somebody say my name? Five news clips? Three news clips. <laughs> and why do even these biggest critics and lockdowners come to Florida? Well, I think it's simple. From the very beginning, we refused to let this state descend into some type of Faucian dystopia. Nice. Where people's freedoms are curtailed and their livelihoods are destroyed. Fauci. We protected people's rights. We protected people's jobs. We protected small businesses, and we made sure that every kid in the state of Florida had an opportunity to go to school in person five days a week. Love it. In Florida, we reject the biomedical security state, which erodes liberty, harms livelihoods, and divides our society. And we not only reject it if it's government, we have done things like ban vaccine passports and mandates. Because it's unacceptable to simply subcontract out Fauciism to big companies. So we've stood for freedom across the board and the result has been Florida has defeated Fauciism. Freedom has prevailed in the Sunshine State. Not too bad way to kick things off. Here, here, right? Yep. Definitely some uh, Trump speech vibes. I, I didn't. I thought it was pretty good. 
Um, it, it was a troll fest on the Biden administration. Everybody from basements. I mean, does it need to even be a troll fest? They're their own troll fest. Yeah, well, exactly. Uh, only an international. <laughs> like, I've never seen a presidential trolling of themselves. L- listen here, Jack. So funny. It's so true, though. Like he literally said, "We're going to impose these sanctions, and they're going to have the desired effect." And then later, he's just like, "Hey, remember that guy that said they were going to do sanctions? <laughs> Bullshit! It's not going to do anything. Wrong. Thirty clone. days away. <laughs> Wrong clone." <laughs> oh well, I fought that guy earlier. I'm sure it doesn't make you happy yeah, <laughs> to hear that illegals are being dumped into Florida from the southwest border. No, it doesn't surprise me at all. Ron DeSantis has proposed a solution. What is it? We're going to hear it right now. Since I became governor, we've banned sanctuary cities in the state of Florida. And we are in the process of getting money from the legislature so that if Biden is dumping illegal aliens into Florida from the southern border, I'm rerouting them to Delaware. (laughs) Got him. We'll do some in D.C. and Hollywood as well. Nice. No one is safe from Big Dick Ron. Yeah. I did pull one more clip on him and uh, just drop him off at uh, Biden's house. Good old Scranton Joe. Yeah. You know, it's announced in the face of all these international incidences going on right now. Um, Someone apparently in Joe Biden's family has passed away or that's what they're telling us. Family friend. I'm not sure it's unreported, but he is leaving the white house to uh, spend some time in Delaware. Consoling. They said somebody passed away, but they weren't specific on who. No. That's hilarious, dude. They you, don't even know how to lie. <laughs> like, You think it's they, his new dog that he kicked the other day when he got off of Air Force One <laughs> right in front of everybody? It. I did not see that. Is that true? No, he did. He did. He, he jacked wow. a leash, and then the dog tried to like jump on one of the Secret Service guys, and he like pulled him behind the car and kicked him. It's oh pretty my God. awful. Wow. Yeah, I'll send it to you guys. I, I didn't even see that one. But uh, <laughs> Big Dick Ron rounded out his uh, opening of CPAC speech, talking about the things that kind of framed his whole narrative that he gave throughout it and that was it takes courage and and a real you know not even politician america first governor to stand up to well he referred to it as the brandon administration got him Uh that is going to happen and so in times like these there is no substitute for courage having the courage to stand up against things like cancel culture having the courage to reject corporate media narratives, having the courage to take on institutions like big tech, having the courage to stand in the way of the Brandon administration. And that was pretty much what I pulled from him. There wasn't too many speeches yet, uh, as we're only in day two. And, uh, but I did see a couple other ones that were good. Adam Lexalt, guest of the show. Great friend to steak for breakfast. He was out there, and I pulled one of his clips today. He gave a speech, and he was talking about how, listen, we've talked about it throughout all of our new segments today. Joe Biden self-induced exposing his failed ideology and policies on almost a minute-by-minute basis. Adam Lexalt touched on that real quick. Let's hear it. That was our chance to expose the left, relentlessly expose their failed ideology, save America for all of us for my home state of Nevada and Americans all over the country and for future generations. Can I count on you for that fight? 
Let's go save America. Thank you. God bless. I like him. Yeah. He's pretty solid. And then Christy Nome, I saw her talking today. I just pulled one brief clip from her. She was circling back to Russiagate and the Clintons because Hillary Clinton gave some awful comments today about uh, the Ukraine thing. She actually tried to spin it stumply and stump-like by saying this whole thing is Donald Trump's fault because when the Biden How admi- do you figure? The, the relationships with the entire world were so severed that we are still right now in this moment trying to repair them, and this is like the direct consequence of Donald Trump working with Putin and not working with his allies. It was to the point to where Dan Crenshaw was on Fox and Friends this morning, and right before I turned it off, he weighed in on that, and he actually said it was disgusting and vile and shame on her, and she knows her saying that stuff only miseducates the people who don't follow politics. And I was like, okay, I kind of agree with that sentence. Now fuck you, and I switched the channel. Dan, like, that's crazy. Yeah, but let's hear Christy Nome weigh in on it real quick before we, uh, in our last audio clip of the day. Counsel probe of the FBI investigation into President Trump's campaign. Here is the Cliff Notes version. President Trump was right. The Clintons spied on him. They paid a British spy to spy on the president. And then they paid a tech executive to spy on the president. And we're learning more and more all the time about how they abused our government to try to take down President Trump. Now, every sane America across this country is quietly thinking to themselves, if they can do that to the President of the United States, they can do that to me and to my family. And, you know, we're going to see a lot of stuff at CPAC this weekend up until the absolute biggest speakers, which are going to be at the end. You know, you're going to see some of the people who are running for office right now, like re-elections or out there in the campaigns. We saw senatorial candidates, Lex Alt, Greitens was there, already spoke, Christy Gnomes uh, and Ron DeSantis from the governors. And a lot of the House representatives who are running right now are, are there and are going to speak. You know, we're going to hear everybody from freaking Papa John's to Tulsi Gabbard, which I think has no business fucking being there. But that's my opinion. You know, she she votes with Nancy Pelosi 91% of the time. So for why she's speaking at CPAC is still beyond me. Her criticizing the Biden administration has nothing to do with her past voting record and loyalties to the radical progressive left. But that's just my opinion. However, you know, it's one of those things. A lot of stump speeches, right? That's what we're, we're going to see everybody get kind of get hyped up, but we'll see the really juicy stuff coming more when we get to. We all know that yeah. Donald Trump's the keynote speaker of the whole event, so we'll be getting nice. a full-on taste of him on uh, Sunday, I believe. And uh, hopefully, you know, a little bit of flag hugging. Mm. But mm-hmm. as, we're, as we're wrapping up our CPAC preview and getting ready to bring in our last guest of the day, um, he's running for Senate in Oklahoma, Pastor Jackson Lawmeyer. Um, and as he's easy getting ready to join us, we'll uh, key up his audio and let him jump in. All right, joining us last today on the show, it's Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast. He's a father and a pastor, small business owner. He's also the pro-Trump U.S. Senate candidate running in Oklahoma. Jackson Lawmeyer, thanks for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. Hey, hey, thank you so much for having me on. It's a real honor to be on with you guys. Pastor, we know you're busy. I really appreciate you taking time out of the schedule to jump in with us. Oh, no, it's an honor. Yeah, and we're great to have you. How's everything been going? You said you just left CPAC. How's that? Oh, it's been a great time. You know, it's so fun whenever you got like-minded individuals that are coming together because so many times the media tries to make us out like we're the only ones, right? We're, We're the only ones that think like this. And then you come to something like CPAC and you realize there's a lot of people uh, that think the way we think. 
Yeah, it's true. It's good that you got down there and showed some face because you've been doing a really amazing job. We've been tracking you for quite a while. I'm glad to have you on the show. Um, Thank you. So you've been uh, working exclusively with uh, Roger Stone, I heard. So that's uh, pretty big and awesome. You can't get much more uh, dialed in than, than Roger Stone is. How's that experience been treating you? Well, I tell you, there's only one Roger Stone, only <laughs> one Roger Stone. Uh, it has been a, quite the journey. You know, it was uh, about a year ago when General Michael Flynn called me and said, uh, you're going to run for the U.S. Senate. You're going to win. And that's when I said, yes, sir. And we jumped into the race. And then, uh, you know, six months into that, you, Roger Stone called me and said, I think you're going to win. I've been looking into uh, Oklahoma and the vulnerabilities of James Blankford and how you're performing and I'd like to run your campaign and that was just a huge honor because he's the best in the business you're talking about a guy that's ran over 400 campaigns yep. uh, 11 presidential campaigns and so he's at the helm and uh, we're doing extremely extremely well yeah that's uh we have been tracking that and it, it, it's kind of a weird but, well, I guess everything since the 2020 presidential election has been weird. But <laughs> you, you have a, a sitting Republican, and, and then you have you. And normally, you know, someone who, who did well and, and got over the finish line in the last election wouldn't have, you know, they might have challengers, but they're kind of just like sure. for you know, sharpen his sword, go through the primaries, maybe debate them, everything staged. This is a lot different. Why don't you tell us about um, the man who in some circles has been voted the number one rhino running in 2022? Yeah. Well, he, he's a rhino of the highest order. His name is James Langford, James Langford. And, uh, you know, James is an individual that poses one way in the state of Oklahoma, but then does something else in Washington, D.C. And uh, when it comes to his voting record, he votes 52 percent of the time with the Biden administration. Uh, James said that he was going to challenge the fraudulent election of November the 3rd, 2020. On January the 6th, he was going to challenge it. Uh, but then the protesters were let in, and all of a sudden, he had a different uh, game plan. And instead of challenging the election, he was the first one to make the motion to certify Joe Biden as the president of the United States. And when it comes to his record, it's, it's very poor. It's very poor. He was against Trump's border wall. He said walls don't work. He was for blanket amnesty of all the illegals that have come here uh, over the past you know, four decades or so. It's a terrible thing to have someone like James Langford represent such a conservative state like Oklahoma. Right. 77 of our 77 counties voted for Donald Trump in 2016 and 2020, the only state to do it. So that's why we've had such great momentum is people have come to the realization uh, that James Langford is a rhino of the highest order, has been labeled by many the number one rhino up for re-election this cycle. And uh, we've just had tremendous success because people are saying we don't want a swamp creature any longer. We, politics, as usual, have gotten us in the mess that we are in. Democrats are not the problem. It is weak, corrupt, establishment, spineless, swampy Republicans that are the problem in this country. And uh, we're doing well. I'm having a great time learning. There's a whole process to this. And uh, it's a blast, though. It really is. Yeah, that's great to hear. And you point out some of the things that are just so important as we head into these midterm elections that are that are, that should be more of the candidates' focal points. And it's not always your Democratic uh, 
opponent in the general election. It's getting through and exposing the rhinos, not because you yeah. know you're trying to be negative uh, to them personally, but just because you, you lay out the facts. Here's their voting records. Here's what they said. Here's how they contradictorily did the exact sure. opposite. And here's how it's negatively affected the American people, starting with the presidential right. election all the way down to stuff like you mentioned, the border, national defense, crime across the country, the economy, inflation, etc. Well, here's the bottom line. Stolen elections have tremendous consequences. We have seen that. We're on the verge of hyperinflation in this country. We saw that with the debacle of Afghanistan. And now we're seeing that with Russia invading Ukraine. If you don't have the insurrection on November the 3rd, 2020, Russia does not invade Ukraine. You know that. I know that. Everybody knows that. But stolen elections have tremendous consequences, which is why we've got to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing right now is election integrity. Yes, there's a million and one issues that our country faces. But the number one issue we face is election integrity. And we've got to keep beating that drum of election integrity. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, how could we even get into any of the issues if the people who are legitimately getting voted for aren't getting into office, right? Absolutely. If you don't have fair, free, and legal elections, you don't have a free country any longer. So we, we have to make sure our elections are safe and secure. Yeah, I agree with you there 100%. Pastor, I saw some of the pillars of your campaign platform, not necessarily issue-related, but just in general, faith, family, and freedom. Do you want to talk about how important those things are to, to the United States right now? And it seems like we've, yeah. we, you know, we keep walking away from those things for some odd reason or another. We've talked about it on the show. The country has been like due to the fact of like elections and policy and things that are going on in schools, we, we're kind of losing our way, especially spiritually as a country. What's what, what made you make those like the focal point of your campaign? Well, I, I, I'm a firm believer that those three things, faith, family, and freedom are the foundations of the United States of America. The reason the United States has been such a great country and is still a great country is because we're built upon faith, family, and freedom which is why it is those three things that are under attack right now from radical leftism. Now, radical leftism is a new term for an old enemy. And the old enemy is communism. Communism tries to rid a society of the axis, which is faith, family, and freedom. You put your faith in the government, your family is the government, and the government tells you what freedoms, quote unquote, you have. And so those three things, faith, family, and freedom, they are what built this country. They are also what's under attack right now within this country. So we got to fight to defend those things. And and those things are extremely important to every single uh, American. And that's why I put them as, you know, just uh, the statement, the the baseline of what the campaign is about. We're going to defend and we're going to fight for faith, family, and freedom. Yeah, some of the most important things we all should be refocusing on and investing in a little bit more in the United States right now. Pastor, I heard you talk in in a couple different places about the amount of courage it's going to take to get this country back on track again. Can you develop that a little bit for our listening audience and then, you know, just let them hear a little bit of how you think it's, you know, going to take this immense amount of courage to get our country back on the right track? Well, that's the thing. We we have a character crisis in our country. I think everybody would agree on that, whether you're on the left, whether you're on the right. We have a lack of character in leadership in all spheres, whether it's in the education sphere, whether it's in the business sphere, the political sphere. Uh, We have a character crisis in the United States of America. Character is built upon one trait, and it's built upon courage. 
it takes courage in order to be a person of character because character is about integrity, honesty. Well, in order to walk in integrity, you have to have extreme amounts of courage. In order to be a person of honesty, you got to have courage. People don't realize that courage is what character is built upon. So we can talk about we've got a character crisis, which we do. But what we really have is a courage crisis. And so what we've got to get is strong men, strong women with enough courage to do the right thing, not because it's the politically correct thing, but because it's simply the right thing. And if we get more men, more women of courage, we'll have more men, more women of character, which is really what it's going to take to solve the problems in this country. Uh, We need a renewal of character in our leadership in all areas, behind the pulpit, uh, in the boardrooms, in the halls of, uh, you know, Congress. Character is what we need. Yeah, I I definitely think that's something that we've been lacking. And then it's almost like uh, people direct others away from there and make them seem like it's okay or normal. And it just doesn't line up with the, you know, ideological principles that the United States was founded on. Right. And uh, yeah. I think it's so important that you have that interwoven into those campaign platform pillars. Well, thank um, you. Well, yeah, I mean, you got to call it when you see it. You mentioned, you know, about the courage and the men and women that it's going to take. Now, you are, you know, whether you see it that way or not, a huge part of this America First movement that's going on throughout the country. We see people from all walks of life. You, for instance, pastor, small business owner. Um, you know, you have uh, former special forces, Navy SEALs, CIA, uh, government officials or not, just regular moms and dads who are saying, you want to know what? I'm looking at the numbers. I'm seeing what's happening to my kids with mandates, with vaccines, the economy, you name it. I need to do something more than just go on the internet and, and complain about it. And they're getting into this race and it's, it's created such a, a movement in this country right now. Every establishment Republican in the party is either retiring, not running for reelection or <laughs> really hardly, you know, just in a tough race getting challenged by an America first, because I do still feel like even though we've gotten away from, or maybe not, uh, embody a lot of our values as this country was founded on right now. I do think that that's still the underlying like soul yes. of the United States and people as they see all these people across the country coming out and jumping into these races, want it back. How do you feel at, at being part of this movement? And, and, and you don't even have to name anybody, anybody by name, but seeing these people out there who are running on platforms similar to yours and, and how refreshing it is to see how well you're all doing. Well, it's a beautiful thing because it's giving people I travel the country, not just Oklahoma. I travel the country and I, and I hear people. And the one thing that is a common theme is people feel hopeless right now. You know, they stole an election in 2020 and nothing's been done about it. Yeah. We're on the verge of hyperinflation and nothing's being done about it. You've had vaccine mandates from coast to coast. And it just seemed like nothing was being done about it. And, and people are feeling hopeless. Well, whenever they start seeing men and women step up, speak up, stand up, uh, it inspires hope. You know, courage, it's contagious. And and we're like poles. You know, when you're out barbecuing in the summer and you got all those charcoals, you put them together and you ignite one pole and that one pole ignites all the other poles. Well, what has successfully happened in the United States of America is they have separated the poles. COVID was a great separator. Social distancing. We're going to separate the coals because if you are together, united together, you ignite one another. 
Well, that's what's happening right now with these rallies, the Reawaken America tour that's happening throughout the country. You've got CPAC. The coals are coming together and igniting one another and inspiring one another that not all is lost. There's still tremendous hope for the United States of America because our hope is not in an elected official. Our hope is not in a political candidate, but our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And God is not finished with this country just yet. However, God is not going to wave a magical wand over the country and solve all of our problems overnight. God uses people to solve problems. Just like the enemy uses people to create problems, God uses people to solve them. And the way that he solves these problems is what I call the three T's. We all have these T's because people ask the question, what can I do? Well, we can use our time. We've got to invest our time, our talents. God has gifted each of us with unique abilities, skills, and talents. And then our treasure. We've got to stop funding deep state companies that hate this country. And we've got to start funding America first companies that love this country, like my pillow of Mike Lindell. We use our time, our talent, and our treasure. And if we'll use the three T's to fight, uh, we'll win this war and ultimately save the United States of America. That's an excellent point. And I am going to have to point out just because you plugged it for us. I don't know if you know this or not, Pastor, but if you enter promo code stake at checkout, you could get big, big savings on my pillow. Products. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I set you up beautifully. There You're welcome. Oh, I don't even have to cut a commercial. I'm just going to cut this clip right here. today. Yep. Last thing I wanted to ask you about, because I know you're busy, we want to let you get back to uh, probably hopping on a plane pretty soon. You you mentioned all the great things that go into your campaign. You mentioned the movement that it's going to take for us to get this country back on the right track. Then you talked about the men and women that it's going to take to, you know, uh, get that movement and make it legit. You get to the Beltway now. We're talking after the midterm elections moving forward. One of the biggest problems there, it's it slowed down the entire Trump administration. It wasn't the Dems. It wasn't Nancy Pelosi or Adam Schiff. It wasn't the FBI and the CIA, even though they were all contributing factors to it. Sure. It was the people in our own party who, who slowed down his agenda, and it was the administrative state that helped them do so. Do you think it's time for a real change in leadership? You don't even have to call them out by names, but the people who are, are looking to be in control of the House and Senate right now, do we need to really look in a more America first direction for oh my leadership? Goodness. You have to. You have to. And and listen, I'll be very clear on this. I will support a bag of chips before I support Mitch McConnell to be the leader of the Republicans in the Senate. Mitch McConnell has to go. He is the problem. Mitch is like a puppet master. That is why someone like James Langford is so easily controlled. When Mitch says jump, Langford says how high. Uh, We needed America first senator to lead the Republicans in the Senate, same thing in the House. So, yeah, you've got to change up leadership because we recognize 2016. We controlled the White House with President Trump. We had a majority in the Senate. We had a majority in the House. We controlled all three branches. Yet somehow we couldn't refill and replace Obamacare. And that wasn't because Democrats fought us so strategically. The problem was in our House. That's why I say we don't have a Democrat problem. We have a Republican problem. we got to fix the problems in our house. And the problem in our house is weak, corrupt, establishment, spineless Republicans like James Langford, like Mitch McConnell, like Lindsey Graham, like Mitt Romney. I can go on and on and on and on. You know who they are. We've got to replace these people. We've got to remove all rhinos. Yeah, it's one of those things where you pointed out so so bluntly it's just – 
everybody knows it now, and that's what a big part of this America First movement is about. It's calling out what hasn't worked and then having these people get in the races right now who are going to be part of the solutions. Pastor, we feel that you're a huge part of that. And it was amazing getting to know you today. Uh, We want to be able to direct our listenership to help you out in any way they can, whether it's sharing your social medias or knocking on doors and even donating to your campaign. So why don't you tell us uh, where they could find you, your uh, congressional website, and then uh, social medias. So uh, you can go to my website, jacksonlawmeyer.com, but a lot of people struggle spelling the last name Lawmeyer, so we've made it so simple. You can go to jacklaw, J-A-C-K-L-A-W, dot U-S, for U.S. Senate, jacklaw.us. It'll redirect you to jacksonlawmeyer.com. You see all the great things that are happening. But, yeah, follow me on uh, Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or Telegram or Truth Social or Getter or Gab, there's so many different platforms. Uh, I'm on them all under Jackson Lawmeyer. We're going to link that website and your social medias today in our show description, Pastor. And it was the best. great getting to sit down with you today. We'd, we'd, of course, love to have you back a little bit later in the campaign, maybe after the primaries, and uh, wish you all the best. Absolutely. This is the pro-Trump candidate who's uh, running to represent the U.S. Senate in the great state of Oklahoma. Jackson Lawmeyer, thanks for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. Thanks so much. Excellent show today. Solid way to end the week. What do you guys think? Yeah. Yep. It's the end of my week. That's for damn sure. And my weeks never end. Yep. Well, at least I can uh, download the Steak for Breakfast podcast across all downloadable podcasting platforms. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Podbean, Google Podcast, FM Player, and now iHeartRadio. Subscribe to the show and rate it. Leave a review. And don't forget to download this and like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Show creds go to all of our guests. Gubernatorial candidate out of Nevada, Michelle Fiore. Pastor Jackson Lawmeyer, who's running for Oklahoma Senate. And of course, House candidate, newly announced, New Jersey 4, our great friend, co-owner of the Attilus Gym, Mr. Ian Smith. Always great to sit down with him and hear what he's got going on. And we're happy that he's got a house run going on right now. Don't forget to follow and support all of Stakes partners. As you do that, you help make small American businesses great again. My pillow. Great night's sleep. With all the bad stuff going on in the world right now is definitely something you need. Mike Lindell's up to the task to ensure that you've got that. MyPillow.com forward slash steak is the website. Enter promo code steak at checkout for big, big savings. Or you can talk to a qualified pillow representative at 1-800-658-8045. I love my new headphones, and they came from Odyssey. They are the top tier of ear gear. I don't have to jealously look at Noah anymore, because I have ones comparable to his. Go to Odyssey.com and take care of all of those ear needs. Find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Stay ready gear holsters. Melted Kydex done right. Donald Trump's probably going to hug a flag at CPAC this year. He's done it every year since 2019. And you can take that picture and have it put on a concealed carry holster. Their newly refurbished warehouse is pumping out orders faster than ever before. I think they're still waiting. Really? Yeah. Well, you don't want to say that. We're going to say that they're pumping out orders faster than ever before. Why not? Stayreadygear.com. Find them on Facebook and Instagram. Man rubs. Don't mistreat your meat. Buy it. Shake it, sprinkle it, rub it, smoke it, pull it, put it on a bun, throw it in your mouth. Num, num, num. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms, all your firearms needs done right. 
In addition to that, he's got lots and lots of ammo. WestCoastSurvivalArms.com is the newly redesigned, easy-to-use website. Talk to him on Facebook Messenger via the telephone, 619-870-6992. Mediocre Medic for all our first responders. We love them, and they love wearing Mediocre Medic. MediocreMedic.com is the website, and they have a pretty fire IG. And last but not least, the home of the Zero Fucks Duck, DumpBox.us. Go hit up Mark on Facebook. Go waste some money on all these awesome small American businesses. Upcoming shows. We'll be back on Tuesday. We've got a really good one, an America First Roundtable. Robbie Starbuck, running in Tennessee 5, will be joining us as well as Mike Collins, who pulled into CPAC today in the semi and gave a honk honk. Nice. He's running to represent Georgia 10. It's going to be an awesome show. Next Friday, we're going to have a uh, a good one. Jim Lehman, who's running for the Senate in Arizona, he's going to come and tell us about his campaign platform. We're going to have Mark Ivano, who's the president of the Republicans for National Renewal. We're going to talk midterm elections. J.R. Majewski, who every day I follow him a little bit more on Twitter. He gets a little bit more base. He's running in Ohio 9. He's going to join us. We're going to start off that show with uh, one of our great friends. We'll get a full recap on CPAC, on Durham, and all things Trump world. Mr. Cash Patel will be joining us. On the 8th of March, we're going to have Carolina Serrano. She's running in Nevada 4. Courtney Turner, who's got an America First podcast host, is going to come in and do the news with us. And we're going to have a... uh, constitutional Q&A with Amir Bento. He's a Newsmax contributor and a constitutional lawyer, and we're going to talk to him about some of the big things going on in the world right now from the legal side of things. On the 11th of March, we're going to do a little uh, Arizona First edition of Steak for Breakfast. We're going to have Kelly Townsend, who's running in Arizona 1, and followed by her, Eli Crane, Forrest Epstein endorsed, running in Arizona 2. Christina Bob will be with us to do news that day, and we'll have our first sitting member of Congress, House Representative out of Texas 24, Beth Van Dyne, will be joining us as well. Just lock this one in. You'll all be pleased to hear. We're going to do a big segment and have a great interview with an awesome political commentator. Bridget Gabriel is going to be joining us on the 15th of March. And uh, even though we don't have some guests lined up for the 18th of March yet, Josh LaCash is going to join us and the host of Wrong Opinion. He's going to do the news with us. We'll get some uh, guests in there for you guys, but as far as the news go, we're going to have a pretty fun time. Friends of the Week. Hmm. The Duke of Memes. Mm-hmm. Spicy. Some awesome Kahlo. We did the Doctor Strange collab with Putin and Biden. Got to throw him in there. Uh, let's go, Brenda. Always got to have her. Hunter Biden smokes crack. He had some good ones this week. What I mean to say, grand old memes. Shared two from Dank Elvis yesterday. Nice. Can't ever forget our friends uh, Puberto's 2.0, Snack Thickelson, mm. and Baby Cakes 2.0. Guys, things to remember between now and next show. Number one, do your own research. If you want to get to the bottom of what's really going on between Russia and Ukraine, I had to do a lot of it for this show. There's even more that I haven't uncovered yet. Go do your own research. Start a podcast. Noah's edits aren't as bad as usual, but they're still pretty... You got a sound effect to narrate how you're going to be editing the show? Nope. Perfect. <laughs> and last but certainly not least, let's see what happens. We'll be back on Tuesday with an America First Roundtable, Robbie Starbuck, Mike Collins, and a full breakdown of CPAC, including Trump's keynote speech. This has been episode 110 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. And on behalf of our pod team, I'm Roan. Noah? Later. Have a great weekend, Antoinette. Bye, guys. We love you. Thanks for listening. And take care.
I'm kind of retarded. 